You're listening to Cinema Jaw, the greatest movies podcast ever, recorded on location from Cinema Jaw Studios in Chicago. My name is Matt Kay, and with me is... Ride the Movie Guy, and sitting to my left is KP. Hello. This week on Cinema Jaw, Matt, it is a very special Cinema Jaw, our top 10 of the year. Fanfare, saluting, fireworks. We're celebrating 2023 in film, Matt, and we got a great guest who's going to be joining us. Brian Tallarico is back. It's a tradition. Yeah. Absolutely. Managing editor over at RogerEbert.com. He comes on every year. We recap the year, our fi- our 10 favorite, and we have a good discussion on film. It's, oh, yeah. It's actually my favorite podcast to do every year. It's it's not, you're not alone on that. We, we got some feedback. Hopefully we'll get to. Absolutely. Sure do. It is uh, a special episode, Jawhead, so... No review this week. No trivia this week. We realized it's tough to write the trivia because Brian kills whatever. Matt. This is, and whatever. if I write them to try to stump Brian, you're not going to get any of them, right? It's just no good. So we, we threw that out. But what we're going to do mm-hmm. in lieu of trivia is I have five questions that are sort of like uh, poppy fun questions that are in regards to our own list. And to give you an example. Like a survey, yeah. One of them is... Um, I will go with this one. One of the questions I wrote after our lists have been revealed is, which film on your top 10 will be the most rewatchable? Love Those it. kind of Love questions. It. Yeah. So it'll be a fun discussion at the end of the podcast. Something different. Yeah. I like it. And I got five fun ones. It's like a little present underneath the tree, Ryan. Agreed. Can't wait to open it. So it is going to be a very fun jaw and a long one. So let's get started with an Emma Stone fact. Yes. Uh, Emma Stone, uh, one... We don't talk about tattoos on actors enough unless it's like Danny Trejo, who you cannot hide them on. Uh, Emma Stone has a tattoo of bird feet on her wrist that she shares with her mother, having matching identical ones, because uh, Blackbird by the Beatles is both of their favorite songs. Paul McCartney himself, obviously of Beatles fame and the person who wrote this song. Who? Right. I I don't know. Paul McCartney (laughs) drew the bird feet tattoo for Emma after she wrote him personally, uh, wrote him a letter asking him to do so. That's the cool thing about fame, right? It is. You can can write write a note to Paul McCartney McCartney and say, hey, this would be special if you could draw bird feet and we could get the tattoo. Stuff like that I I would really appreciate. That and all the money. (laughs) (laughs) Those two things are really what's special about it. That is true. Good fact. Good fact about Emma. Well, you heard him already. He comes every year like Santa Claus right yeah, at the end of December. Right. It's fat and jolly, too. <laughs> <laughs> right at the end of this December, we get all ready for him. We bring whiskey, and instead of cookies and milk, it's whiskey and beer. Yeah. Um, but yes, Brian Tallarico, managing editor over at RogerEbert.com. He is the president of the Chicago Film Critics Association, which runs its own festival. We might talk about that as well, because it's a wonderful fest here in Chicago. We went. Brian, welcome back to Cinema Thank Jaw. you. Thank you for having me. Is this 11? I think last year was our 10, wasn't it? It was. So this is the 11th. We're starting another decade. 11th time that he is doing the top that's 10 with great. us. That's, that's great. That's <laughs> amazing. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Um, I wanted to start this off. Well, number one, how have you been? How's your good. year been? Good, good, good. Yeah. Lots of... I'm busy, like, and that's always good. It's always good to be busy, right? For yeah, sure. I'd rather be busy than bored, is what I always used to say. So it was a little too busy of a year. Maybe next year it could be a little less busy, but good stuff. Good stuff. That's good. I did want to ask, uh, Matt, you sort of spoiled this question as Brian walked into the room and before we hit record. I wanted to bring up the year of 2023 before we get to our top 10. Oh. And 
I felt that there was a, a, a little bit of a shift, a turn uh, away from some major blockbusters in regards to the superhero films, sure. the franchises. This seemed like a little bit different of a year, did it not, Brian? Very much so. Yeah, I mean, there was a huge... Uh, the we might end up talking about Barbie and Oppenheimer at certain certain points, but that story has actually been underreported in terms of how big it is in terms of seismic shifts in the industry, in my opinion. The idea that Oppenheimer made as much money as it did is crazy, and it's proof that it doesn't have to be a superhero franchise to make a bajillion dollars. And I think if Hollywood takes the right lessons from that this year, and those two movies in particular could be seen as a massive turning point, and that's cool. And in terms of quality, I thought... There were a lot of masters this year working at the top of their game, and I've got debut filmmakers on my top ten too. So there was a good blend of voices from all all over the world, really. So I, I thought it was a great year. Matt, what'd you think? I thought it sucked. <laughs> there oh, we go. Because Marvel died. <laughs> no, no, that's honestly, I agree. Just a coincidence. Just a coincidence. <laughs> I agree with nearly everything you said, and and you as well, right? I think that there was a major shift. The the Barbenheimer thing was amazing. Amazing. Um, amazing. But. Aside from that, like I looked at last year's heavy hitters, and this year just doesn't hold the torch. There it, we go. It, it it doesn't. I mean, we didn't get an everything everywhere all at once. We didn't even get an RRR unless you want to say, well, you know what? I won't drop names yet. Right. Um. Yeah, I I just didn't see it this year. Okay. But that's me. Hey. Yeah. I I I see see like only a certain percentage of Ryan's movies, which is probably a certain percentage of yours. So. Yeah. What did you think, Ryan? I saw, uh, I thought 300 it was, movies this year. I thought it was a strong year. Uh, I haven't seen quite 300, but I'm around the 200 range. Yeah. Did pretty good. I thought it was a strong year. Like I mentioned, I felt the shift. And yes, the Barbenheimer really was just spectacular. And it wasn't even just the opening weekend. But I think what I loved so much, and we commented weeks after, going to a screening on a Tuesday, I'm talking two weeks after Barbie was out. Uh, we were at a press screening on a Tuesday, and the lobby was packed with people wearing pink. It, it took... The, the country it, by storm, and I did. just loved it. That cinema was again at the, the, the forefront of all this. Like, yes, it, it was exciting to go to the movies, and it wasn't just for a Marvel movie. Barbie having a wide demographic, especially being a familiar property, is not too shocking. Uh, teenagers repeatedly seeing a three-hour movie about the creation of the atomic bomb is the most insane thing I think that's ever happened in box office history. <laughs> like, I literally can't fathom how that movie made as much money as it did, other than quality. Like, it's just the kind of thing, and that... The idea that it's quality that made it into such a phenomenon, we're going to get to that movie probably on at least one of our lists, so we shouldn't spoil. But that's a major story to me. Mm -hmm. And if Hollywood takes that right lesson that we can give a creator like Nolan the money to do something and quality will make it a billion dollars instead of just familiar weaponized nostalgia, then I think we're in store for a really good time in film. Agreed. Well, I hope that prediction proves to be true. Yes. So we are going to get started. The rules are like this, Jawheads. We're going to go 10 to 1. Um, to you gentlemen if we mention a movie that's going to be down your list don't say it because we don't want to spoil that it's there KP we are going to get to your number one when we open up the fish tank sound good sounds like a plan I've got it ready and that's about all the rules we got Rules are there are no rules. Brian, there, there are a few rules. You are kicking us off your number I, ten pick I've of got, 2023. I mean, I've changed my ten so many times. I'm going to open it to the floor. Do you want the more obscure movie that people might not have seen or heard of, or the more recognizable movie that I think deserves a bigger audience? Wow. I or vote both. obscure. Or both. Do you think one of these two will have? We the will neither. I don't think they'll have either of them. We will have honorable mentions at the end. So I say go more obscure. 
a film called The Teacher's Lounge, which is from Sony Pictures Classics. It's a German film about a teacher who, it, first off, it's from a filmmaker who studied with Michael Haneke, who's a very famous director, who deals with like power structures, and it deals with that. It's about a teacher who kind of gets involved in a little bit of a controversy when a student is accused of something, and then she accuses another teacher of stealing from her. And it's just about power structures between adults and children and teachers and schools, and it all takes place in one setting, never leaves the school. It is a brilliant film. that play, It's a drama that plays like a thriller. I did see this one. You did? I caught this at the Chicago International. Yeah. Um, I might have played Toronto also. I'm it did. Not positive. So I caught it at Chicago because there was some buzz a little bit yeah. about it. The, the actress, I don't know her name. Leonie Banesh. Fantastic. Fantastic. Unbelievable oh, performance. Really and yeah. Not out in most markets yet, so hopefully you can find it. I think it's coming out limited next week and then expanding in January. I do recommend this one as well. Not on my list. I didn't even write this one down, but I did thoroughly enjoy this one. So good pick at number 10 from Brian. Mm. We're going my direction, Ryan? You bet. All right. At number 10, this movie speaks to the the struggles I had this year because I think it was a miss in a lot of ways, but nevertheless a master at work, an undeniable titan of cinema, Martin Scorsese's latest Killers of the Flower Moon. This is at number 10 on your list, Eeks in at number 10. Wow. Yeah. And and listen, a, a Scorsese movie any other year is probably in the top five or top three, maybe number one. Wait, wait. I don't think Silence or Irishman were on your list. No, like this is sure. we, Irishman we, was on my list. We've had recent examples where I don't think this is true. Definitely I bet you're a long time I now. Missed. That's fair, <laughs> but like uh, man, Wall I'm, Street probably. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, but the two since then, Silence and Irishman. I don't think I so. didn't see Silence. Yeah. Irishman was on my list. All right. All right. We can Pretty sure. We, we yeah. Fact check me on that one. <laughs> I I'll go back and I look. don't think of you as Scorsese always top five. It's just my point. I mean, well, he's just a, he makes good movies. Yeah, no, no, he does. Good, Goodfellas this one. is is one of my favorite movies yeah, okay. of all time. Sure. So he's he's somebody needs to talk to Marty. All right, about yeah. the length of his movies. Rain it the hell in. Otherwise, I really enjoyed the performances in this movie. Are face melting. They're amazing. They're great. I could stare at everyone in this movie for the entire runtime, which is what you'll wind up doing. It is my number ten. Wow. Killers of the Flower Moon. I have a feeling we'll talk about it again. Um, I will say the runtime, when I go see the movie the first time, doesn't bother me that it's three and a half hours long. Where it's killer is I wanted to watch that one more time before making my top 10 list, and I just couldn't find the time to watch it a second time. So I've uh, only my, seen it the once. My wife hasn't seen it yet because I do think it has a cumulative growing power that shouldn't be divided. And when you've got three kids, it's hard to find three and a half hours. Right. Hell yeah. So like dividing it, I think dividing it into two or three even is just going to drain it of its power. We'll talk about this movie again shortly. I will say I've got a piece posting on Arrow Films about all the movies Scorsese has made since The Departed, six six narrative features, and how they're all about an old man searching for meaning in his life. I'll just give that little pitch. I like That's that. That's interesting. Yeah. Very. I'll read that. Like it. All right. My number 10, I'm going to kick it off with some feedback. We got this about a week ago. I flagged it because I thought this movie might make my top 10. It came to us from Lucas Matthew, who wrote into us, and he says, Guys, I have to mention this before the year is up. I've been a longtime listener and a rare emailer of the pod, but I must implore you to go see one of the top 10, at least, he says, movies of the year and review it for all your jawheads out there. The movie I bring up is Godzilla Minus One. Looking forward to your year-end lists and the top 10 with Brian Tallarico, the best catch-up episode on any movie podcast out there, period. Have a happy holidays, Lucas Matthew. Thank you, Lucas, for listening to the show. 
I took your advice, Lucas. Is that your 10? And that is my oh, number yeah. 10. Godzilla minus one. This is my first of two foreign films on my list. It is uh, obviously from Japan, written and directed by Takatsi Yamazaki. And it's set in 1945. A kamikaze pilot lands on an island, and he is there amongst some other uh, leftovers from the war, if you will. And lo and behold, here comes Godzilla. This is the opening of the film. And what we get after that, awesome scene at the beginning. Great way to open up a Godzilla movie. What we get after that is an anti-war movie. We get uh, storylines about survivor's guilt uh, over in Japan. And then we get this uh, wonderful story of this new family starting and sort of the rebuild of Japan and the, uh, the, the future that it can be and can have. And then on top of that, I'm mentioning all this. I haven't mentioned how damn mean Godzilla is in this movie. I think it's the meanest interpretation of Godzilla that I've ever seen on film. And I've, I know for a fact I've never had a Godzilla movie on my top 10. And here it lands at number 10. Special effects are great. Uh, like I said, the Godzilla look mean. But it's the, the human element, the story and the drama that really separates this one from your average Godzilla movie by a long mile. They, they really hold back the reins on on Godzilla. We we do get plenty. We get plenty of Godzilla. That's common. Like is it, 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 the, the Toho Godzilla is like commonly you didn't see Godzilla hardly at all. It was more about and then the recent ones even like Shin Godzilla. Shin right, Godzilla is about Godzilla. bureaucracy more than it is Godzilla. And even those early ones until they got into like destroy all monsters era. A lot of the early ones, you barely saw Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but nowadays comparing it to the American films, sure, sure. which well, are terrible, very different. No. Windguards is fun. Yeah, lots of fun. But this is just something different. It is a human story rather than Godzilla's story. Godzilla is a force of nature in this, not a character mm-hmm. per se. Mm-hmm. As he should be, perhaps. I don't know. It's arguable. But I enjoyed this a lot more than your average Godzilla film, too. For sure. I don't know. What, what's the proper Godzilla term? Maybe KP can help us out here. What's the proper term for the uh, blue razor laser that he shoots out of his mouth? I'm not actually sure. Radiation beam? Uh, I th- always called Blue it his hell. atomic breath. <laughs> it yeah. looked it looked fantastic in this movie. The way it would go up his spine and then he would shoot it out of his mouth was it was just awesome. I'm one of the biggest Godzilla fans you'll ever meet in your life. I have all of the Godzilla. I've got that awesome Godzilla Criterion collection. Go get that. It has all of them in it. I reviewed Monarch Legacy of Monsters. That's how crazy I am. I have not seen <gasps> Godzilla minus one. This is what happens when you have three children and five jobs and a movie comes out on December 1st. Well, so I will see it. I might change my top 10. I am very excited to see it, but I think this might be a first, a movie on a list that I have not yeah. seen. So I have not seen well, Godzilla Well, I'm glad that one. it can be me. I'll, I'll say this too. This movie snuck up on me. I didn't. Yeah. I was unaware of it. I'm very excited. I was unaware of it at all. And I caught it because I think we had shifted. There's been a lot of buzz. Yeah, I yeah. Had sh- we had shifted our recording day, and I was like, oh, there's a Godzilla movie. That's how like unknown it was to me. And I like, walked into the theater, and I'm like, holy crap, that was one of the best yeah. movies I saw all year. I'm very excited to see it. I just haven't been able to carve out the time. Yeah. yeah. So Godzilla minus one, my number 10 and, pick. And thank you, Lucas, because I, I made a point to go see it before this list. Yep. Well, I guess I'm the failure. <laughs> Way to go, Brian. Unbelievable. <laughs> I'll, I'll get to it soon. I'm um, just glad it wasn't me. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm pretty sure everyone in this room and everyone in the entire several mile radius saw my number nine, which is part of a trend of movies that didn't have an ending, but for this one I didn't mind. And that's Spider-Man Across the Universe, which I think is such a remarkably well-made piece of pop culture entertainment. It's 
mind-blowing how quickly it goes by. It feels like it's 15 minutes long. It's, it's just a blur of creativity and passion, and then it ends, and you get upset, but you get upset kind of like you did at the end of Empire Strikes Back. It's very similar in that sense. Like There was a, there was a number of movies this year that just didn't have an ending, like Fast X, which belongs in a in a landfill somewhere because they just decided, hey, we don't need an ending. We're going to get you to come. But this one has that empire thing. It's like, I'm satisfied with what I saw. I'm mad it's not going, but I can't wait to see the next one. And again, the artistry of that movie is mind-blowing. I think the Spider-Verse movies are going to be wildly influential. We're already seeing it in Mitchell's Versus the Machines and TMNT. And, and it's going to break us out of this kind of stale illumination bullshit animation that's so horrible um applause from that <laughs> well yeah said. yeah and, and it's going to treat children with the respect that they deserve and superhero fans with the respect that they deserve and it's going to destroy marvel and minions and all that crap yes. let's go <laughs> marvel needs a shake-up i'm not yeah. arguing with that i i, I have Every this predicted as maybe being on all of our lists this was Could one be. of them i was going to ask you guys to write down what do you think will be the movies that come down on all of our lists because i think there's some heavy favorites this year that uh, will be three mentioned. at least yeah and this was one of them for me i love this movie as well and and you're right i mean it's just a work of art on screen it was the first movie i saw in the theater two times this year um and i we saw that press screening I was dying to see it again. Like I was like, I'm I'm going the next free night I have when it opens because I just want to see it again. I just enjoyed it that much. It's on Netflix now. Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. It is, mm -hmm. which so. is an incredible gift for them. As soon as I saw it dropping there, I was like, that's great. Yeah. It is, no doubt. Um, we'll talk about it more. Sure, I had a feeling. <laughs> uh, so you guys dropped your numbers. I saw 100 movies, which is decent, right? Sure, I mean, it's better, higher than average. Um, so I had a bit more to choose from, and this is a movie I walked out of, and, and I could not get rid of the smile on my face. The feeling was just delightful. Even though you do go through a bit of, of a journey of motion based on the classic book, my number nine is Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Hmm. And uh, this is from Kelly Freeman Craig, who's kind of known for doing coming-of-age stories. I think she was a good choice of director, for this particular story because all eyes are on you when you adapt are you there god it's me margaret mm -hmm. it's pretty much like uh, a, a staple for for preteen girls reading and i told the story when we reviewed it but i have an older sister so this book existed in my house a lot of guys don't read this book but i snuck it into the attic because i thought it was forbidden because i i thought like this book isn't meant for me mm. and i loved the book and i loved the movie it was just <laughs> Such a delightful story, so honest. Even though it's set in the 60s, I think, and it was written years and years ago, it feels like, oh, shit, this is how kids really are, you know? Sort of. I mean, I, I like it. I'm not trying to come down on you, but I have a f I, I find it funny that I've seen Spin the Bottle played in so many kind of coming-of-age movies, and I know no one who played Spin the Bottle. <laughs> True, but I think it may have originated in that in movies. Oh, it might have. Yeah, fine. But once they played Spin the Bottle, I was like, yes, of course they did, because it's a coming-of-age movie. This I mean, we that's had, fair. We have iPads Teen now. Wolf. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just, sorry. Keep going. But, I mean, the movie, the overall. Oh, it's good. It's very, very good. Right. Delightful. Yeah. Loved it. Wanted to make put it on my list. It's at number nine. Yeah, I know we commented in the review how good Rachel McAdams was, yeah. and that they really uh, and Safety too wrote out yeah. that. Oh yeah, Safety's great. Uh, how they wrote out that character a little bit more, uh, according to you in the book. The mom wasn't such a, a prominent character, right? Right. right. Uh, and that I think helped this movie at least elevate it from just a, a normal coming of age uh, 
you know, teen movie that we see constantly to something a little bit more special that I think we, especially at our age, could relate to more so almost from the parents' point of view than the, than the kids. It had some layers. For, yeah, one of the most for, underrated performers of her generation. I think Rachel McAdams is quite literally always good and I'm often great. I think her comic timing is insane. Game Night and Eurovision, she's hysterical in those movies. And I think her, when I was watching Are You There, God, which believe it or not, I caught up with like a week ago for my year-end stuff. And, um, and? you like it? It's good, yeah, yeah. very solid. And, but she's the best thing about it. Um, she's always present. Like you, she's one of those performers. There are certain performers that you believe they're listening to the other character in the scene. They're responding to the other character in the scene. They're not just waiting to say their line. They're not responding to something they've rehearsed. She's present in every scene, which is one of the reasons she's got good comic timing. She can respond to a joke like it's actually happening. She's just a phenomenal actress, and I'm glad she's getting a lot of attention for this. Yeah, no argument. You, no. no argument for me. Yeah, if you haven't seen this one, Jawheads, definitely seek it out. Well worth the spin. All right, for my number nine, it's confession time. And here's the confession. I'm actually not the biggest Michael Mann fan. I I don't go out of my way, usually, to see a lot of his movies. Uh, I missed Black Hat altogether. Matt, I don't like racing cars. I don't like cars in general, right? I don't even care that much for cars. And I really don't like American actors doing funny Italian accents. Yet here we are. Ryan is listing Ferrari as his number nine film of the year. I almost look at it as a guilty pleasure in a way. I don't know why I like this movie so don't, much. Don't, don't feel guilty. But I loved Ferrari. I mean, unbelievable. I joked it was like the Godfather mixed with Ford v. Ferrari. And then somebody said, oh, you mean there's it's a you know, organized crime movie? And I'm like, no, 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 no. A little it's, bit. A little bit. To yeah, the way he like sees human beings as disposable. True. Yeah. It's just ruthlessness. Especially, especially when he talks to the drivers yeah. in that one scene. It really well, felt Well, when one like, of them dies and he brushes right. it off like nothing happened. Very much so. Um, but the tone of the movie sure. uh, no, I think you're very right. much felt like, the, uh, like Godfather-esque. And I think it helped. I knew nothing about Ferrari, the mm. man himself, who here is played by... Um, Adam Driver. Adam Driver. Yeah. So I didn't know anything about Ferrari's story, so I thought, well, geez... It, it's interesting. He's got this whole, you know, kind of like double life. And I don't want to give too much away because this hasn't even opened yet. I believe it opens mm-hmm. on Christmas. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I was intrigued by the story. I thought the tone that Michael Mann had was uh, fantastic. Penelope Cruz was amazing. Uh, absolutely excellent. In one this of the movie. best performances of the year. I think she might get nominated for an she Oscar should. for this. She should. Uh, the one that I thought was probably a little uh, of an outlier, Shailene Woodley, was. I think it's okay, though. I think that character is supposed to be a little off center from the rest of the film. Like like the, the mistress essentially, and mm-hmm. and the one who uh, kind of pulls him away from the rest of the world. So it's okay if that performance feels a little different from the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. I love Michael Mann. Michael Mann. If there's anyone I could arguably be an apologist for, it's Michael Mann. So the fact that it's on <laughs> your list and not mine, it's in my eleven to twenty, and my review runs Monday. By the way, if anyone, it probably up by the time this posts. So, yeah. Same day, no less. Uh, yeah, it's just it. I think I love. I, I don't think Michael Mann's ever made a bad movie. Uh, like at all really yeah and and I think this one fits perfectly in his dissection of not toxic masculinity but privileged masculinity a sense of like like I said someone who sees people as disposable and the way it builds the way it's like you can tell it's like a car that's got some sort of bolt missing and you can tell it's eventually going to lead to tragedy and then it does mm-hmm. no spoilers here but it's got a scene that's just breathtaking in its tragedy um and, and i just love the way it's 
put together. The craftsmanship of man, I think, is just insane. And and that really comes through during the racing season. Oh, my God. Th- this race, it, it goes all over the country. Oh, my God. Th- this is so gorgeous yeah. to behold the racing scenes. I was like, again, I'm not into racing. And I'm like, wow, this is literally incredible to watch. The sound design was great. Yep. Uh, the the way it was shot, the cinematography, fantastic. And yet it, it could thrilling. it could have been like a public enemies type like super macho masculine thing i think it's more like insider it's more like about the deconstruction of a human being which that movie is about someone Mm -hmm. kind of collapsing under the weight of what they're doing i love michael mann like (laughs) michael mann is the best and i wish he worked more often and ferrari's in my 11 to 20 and i just can't believe he's on your list and not mine so so (laughs) did you have any problems with with the accents at all no i don't care but i also like house of gucci so take it for what you want (laughs) (laughs) i i think that's where some people are going to come at and it's a very shallow get past it right it's a very shallow take i'm like all right i get it that they're not the best at at some of the accents cruises Cruz clearly speaks Italian, like you can tell, and has lived with Italian women like the characters she plays. But Shailene Woodley and Adam Driver, when they're talking, I'm like, "Uh, this is kind of... Well, in general, it's silly to have people have an accent, but not speak the language. Like, it's just dumb. So once you can get past that, it's fine. Hey, Ferrari comes out in theaters on Christmas, Jawhead's... It's my number nine of the film. I, I, I Number nine of the year, I loved it. In ta- Italian accents in particular, if you don't do them, like, right... It can come off as a caricature. It's a me, Mario. Right, exactly. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's not that bad, but it has its moments in right. there. But yes, big fan of Ferrari. So into our eights we go. Another animated film in my top ten, and not Super Mario Brothers. Sorry. Uh, I, if there's another filmmaker that I could write a book about, like Michael Mann, it's Hayao Miyazaki. Um, who's one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. I've got a Spirited Away poster on my wall. I've got a Totoro stuffed animal next to my bed. So I'm in the bag for Studio Ghibli and Miyazaki, but I still think his new film is a masterpiece. I think it is a wonderful movie that plays. I said it's played, it's both a kid's fable and an old man's goodbye at the same time. It plays both like whimsy. It's his riff on Alice in Wonderland and Wizard of Oz, which he's done a thousand times. The character travels to another world that's similar to ours and learns themes. But it's also a riff on everything he's done and everything he's made before and everything he's considered. And it's his most autobiographical film. It's got elements of that, which he's never really done before about losing his mother and other issues that he's never really put into his movies. Um, I just, I find it emotionally overwhelmingly moving and gorgeous. So, Boy and the Heron. We just talked about this one last week on the show as we reviewed it for the Chicago opening um, of the film. And, yeah, it's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. It is. It, is. it will come up again, I think. <laughs> All right, good. Uh, the, the, when I saw Spider-Verse, the fact that there's an animated film that I liked more this year is mind-blowing. Then there's two in my top ten. is mind-blowing. I also have two animated movies in my in the top Probably ten. the same two. <laughs> Unless TMNT or Super Mario Brothers can work their way in there. Guys, my next three or picks Leo. are all animated <laughs> films. Wait, you There's have... a sleeper, Brian. I don't think you know my number one. Is it Leo? No, it's no. not, sadly. Is oh, it... it is animated. I wouldn't I oh. wouldn't say Leo is, is out of Is contention. it Robot Dreams? <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. It's not that. You have three animated movies in a row, Matt. Is that what I just heard? Yeah, you heard. Okay. Yeah. Um, and and if you think about it, you can probably figure out what they are. It's just a matter of what order right. do they if come in. If it's Super Mario Brothers movie, we might I, have an issue. No, no, he, he's not that big of a fan, but he is a huge like fan it. of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, yeah. So I'm yeah, guessing yeah, that's yeah, one yeah, of them. Yeah. yeah. So uh, at number eight, I have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mutant Mayhem, and I'll say this to get us started: 
Trent Reznor and Atticus yeah. Ross. Awesome. Yeah, what? I, I couldn't believe that. I, the whole time I was watching this movie, I'm bobbing my head. I'm like, this thing's got a freaking killer soundtrack. Yeah. And then at the end, Trent Reznor, I'm like, that makes a lot of yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. It's the only movie this year that I have listened to the soundtrack at work like 50 times. Like I'll get into work and I'll just put that on and let it play. Nice. And then it, it, it like I put it on YouTube, so it always gets into Trent Reznor's other sure, m- sure. movie soundtrack. Moves on to closer. It's it's a <laughs> it's a great rabbit hole to go down. Sure, sure, sure. Boy in the Heron has a gorgeous score too, by the way. Oh no doubt. Gorgeous. Joe he says she never yeah, fails. Amazing. I, this Ever. one just appealed to me the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I'm a big fan of like discordant cyberpunk and like 80s hip hop type yep. stuff. So, and then the turtles. Let's talk about this. I think you you hit the nail right on the head with the Spider-Verse being so influential. We've broken the mold. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, such a, and this is coming from a huge fan, so that's the caveat, such a tired and played out franchise. Mm -hmm. Everyone's had a turn with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Even Megan Fox. Right. (laughs) And, And... by and large, the recent efforts have sucked. Mm-hmm. I haven't liked a TMNT movie since the original TMNT movie, which I still love. This movie may have replaced the original TMNT movie as as the quintessential take on the Turtles. They all get their own personalities without being too different from one another. They're still right. brothers. They didn't change yeah. too much. They changed just enough to modernize it, make it fun, fresh. Great. They got the Turtles right. I think it was just good. It is good. You know that student you wish was a little better and like tried a little harder could maybe be a little bit better. I think you're too hard of a teacher. I might be. You need but to go back you to talk the about this, the, the, the turtles being their own unique personalities. I think it doesn't quite have enough of that. And I think, in other words, I think the sequel will be vastly superior. I think once it can kind of define those characters better outside of watching Ferris Bueller's and just giving them like one trait each. If they can have a few more traits and be a little more well-rounded, I think the sequel will be great. I think the first one's fine, but I think the sequel will be better. Are we going to talk about this one again? No. Okay. It's not on my list. Well, we got to mention Fly Guy, right? Super well, the character, fly, design, super fly, character fly. design is super cool. That I was like Ice Cube? Yeah. 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 Amazing. I loved, it. I loved it. I think it gets better once all those all that character design goes crazy once all the rogues gallery of villains comes in yeah. and you can like appreciate the design elements right. but I think for a while there it's a little flat but that's just me oh I liked it straight straight from the, cool. from the word jump the, the biggest change that, that messed with me was Splinter but I'm on yep. board yep. Um, well I got uh, no loyalty to the source I just felt like it felt like the start of something instead of a complete thing which is why I think the sequel will be better hmm. yeah I'm down for well, a sequel so I will say because Matt is a very big fan I am not at all, and I know we talked about this when we reviewed it. This was the first time I was like, oh, I get the appeal sure. of the turtles. I really like the turtles. Sure. And, you know, I just never was drawn to them before. I have to admit, I've never seen any of the other oh, incarnations of wow. the movies. I've never How seen any that of them. happen? Um, they, they, they do it like every five years to keep the copyright. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I said before, the only thing I knew was the video game. I played oh, yeah. the video game sure. much, so I, that's how I got to know the turtles. Yeah. But yeah. I was a fan of this movie. Big and time. and Seth Rogen. Seth yeah, Rogen yeah. needs to be Love nodded. Seth. I mean, Seth's great. Yeah. Super, in the city of New York. Guy. I think the city Good. of New York is the like character the fifth design. character and Mr. Beast. in TMNT. <laughs> and Mr. Beast is the fifth character. <laughs> sure. Yeah. But like, yeah, other than Joan and Vasquez, I don't know anybody who's done this series as much good. No, I, it, I'm happy it did as well as it did, even if jo- I wasn't. Joan and Vasquez did TMNT stuff? It's awesome. Oh, my God, Matt. Watch the Joan and Vasquez. It's awesome. All right. We'll talk, we'll talk after the show. I, I need to know about this. <laughs> Excited. My number eight is an animated movie. This one already brought up, and it is 
Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. And like Brian said, and That's three I mentioned, cartoons in a row, technically from three different people. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, strong year for him. I'm going to shift sure. that a lot in the next one, <laughs> but go ahead. Um, but I, I put little notes in that I wanted to highlight um, exciting moments in the year of film. Like, you know, when you're sitting there watching it, like it's a kind of highlight of the year when you're looking back. And it's that cliffhanger. Now we can spoil it because when we reviewed it on the show, we didn't want to talk about the cliffhanger. But seeing it in that press screening, I think that we were all in, you could feel the energy in the movie like building. I mean, And it was so, so well done where it was like building to something. And we thought and then I think it was all realizing, especially to me, did not know 100 percent that this was going to be a cliffhanger. Right. So all right. of a sudden, I think it felt like the whole audience was realizing like, oh, my God. They're going to leave this in like yeah. a major cliffhanger, and it felt like there was a gasp, and then the theater went in an applause as soon as the That's right. the credits rolled. And it, I thought, what a moment! I mean, I just loved Spider Verse, and it's Luke losing his hand and finding out I his dad. It. That's it such really a good observation. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. It was like, oh my god, oh, I'm so in for number three. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, the animation when they go to Gwen's world, and we we've talked about the, the, the watercolors yeah. and it's yeah. running, the paints yeah. running, the upside down shot where they're. Sitting Oh, upside amazing. down literally Timeless. gorgeous Timeless. yeah literally gorgeous one of my scenes of the year so so many reasons to love spider-verse they bring uh, the bagel back yes. there was a callback to the yeah. bagel you got to talk about there was a Jason. callback to about a billion things right. in video games and, and other forms yeah jason schwartzman there, there were called forwards there was spider-man 2 video game stuff in there that hadn't even come out yet so jason schwartzman's uh spot yeah yeah i mean incredible yep. voice work by schwartzman it's got so much going for it Everything that uh, those guys are doing over there, Phil Lord and those really guys, good. just keep it going, man. Yeah, really Rocky. good, really good. So that was my number eight was Across the Spider-Verse. My next one could not change the themes more. Um, it, there's a filmmaker named Andrew Haig who did 45 Years and Weekend. He's a really good, empathetic, human interest filmmaker who did a film this year called, or it's not out yet, called All of Us Strangers with Andrew Scott of Fleabag fame. Uh, he plays a writer in a building who meets another neighbor and they kind of fall in love a little bit and it kind of spurs him to go back to his childhood home where he essentially reunites with his dead parents who died when he was young. And it's about moving on from things and grief and it's about having to have, con or being allowed conversations with people you've lost. How would you catch up? How would they wonder how you've changed? Would they be proud of you? Would they be sad about certain things that you've had to go through? It is an incredibly emotionally powerful film. And what I love about it so much is that it's got four performers, Andrew Scott, Claire Foy, Jamie Bell, and Paul Mescal, who are all exactly on the same page. It's like watching a great play with four actors who know exactly how, what the filmmaker is going for and attempting. It's incredibly moving. It's unusual. You kind of have to go with its conceit more than once. Um, but I found it amazingly powerful and Andrew Scott gives my favorite performance of the year in any film wow I have seen this one it's excellent not on my top 10 so I can say that uh, but right behind it it's in that like 11 to 15 and yeah you're right the performances are absolutely fantastic Claire Foy Claire Foy's incredible she needs to be in more stuff oh my gosh can we get her in more stuff and I'd her. love to see her get nominated she talk about understanding the assignment the, this imagine for those of you who've lost a parent like if you've lost your mother imagine being able to have a conversation with your mother about where you are now. Mm -hmm. Like it's so, it's powerful to even think about. It is. Like it's just, and it's so well done and it's incredibly, as someone who's lost a lot of people over the last five or six years, uh, in-laws and my own relatives, it's in, just the concept of it. Like being able to talk to my aunt about what's happened since she's been gone or introduce her to my kids. It's like, 
the idea is amazing and that it's so beautifully executed. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. yeah, this was a movie I watched and definitely had tears in my eyes. Oh my, it's impossible not to. Yeah, throughout, and not just, you know, that climactic kind of moment where you know something's coming. This is like midway through the movie, oh. there's a conversation going on and I just had tears rolling yeah. down my eyes. I'm like, oh my God, this is hitting hard, yep. man. This is yep. hitting. What's the title one more time? All of Us Strangers. Okay. What, do you know when it opens in Chicago? I know it's New York, LA next week, uh, probably shortly thereafter. Okay. Keep an eye on that one, Jawheads. My number seven, I'm dipping back into the inkwell, and it is The Boy and the Heron. Okay. Uh, I don't think we need to belabor it and discuss it any I further. I actually have it at number seven also, so this is good oh, we yeah, can talk yeah. about it one more time. I also have The Boy and the Heron That's at number that, seven. I did not expect that on all three. And both of you higher than me, the Ghibli guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, so here's the, here's the discussion that I think is worth having about The Boy and the Heron. What sets it apart from Spirited Away? And I thought about this for a long time, and I think I have at least part of what sets it apart from Spirited Away. It's a masculine story. And, and that's probably pretty obvious, right? Because it's about a little boy. But the themes that uh, a, a male life explores is going to be different from, from the, the, the story of Spirited Away. It's, about, um, it's less about independence and more about his relationship with the women in his life and stuff like that. And it's, it's a little... Um, it's, it, it explores some of those themes more deeply. Hero's journey. Like, he feels he has to protect his mom. His, his, he feels he didn't protect his first mom and then has to protect his second mom. So there is a masculine hero's journey aspect to it. But are you saying you liked it more than Spirited Away? No. Oh, you're saying how is it different? How is it different? Oh. You don't think, like, nearly two decades worth of experience also contributes to that? It's oh, also certainly. Him, it's also him opening up his own life. Absolutely. In, in ways he never really did before. Absolutely. Spirited Away is one on my top ten of all time. It was on my sight and sound I would ballot. agree with that, too. But Spirited Away is also deeply Alice in Wonderland influenced. Right, um, and it's way more of a kaleidoscope. Right. This is a little bit more this muted. This is a personal film. Yeah. Um, this is about him dealing with his mom and his dad. His right. dad created parts for fighter planes and, and that's exactly what the father does here it's it contains more biographical elements than Hayao has ever put in any of his films mm-hmm. you can even get into the idea that he's trying to pass the torch down to his son goro which the grand uncle does at the end of this film or attempts to uh, or attempts to um and goro's not great <laughs> but eric was awesome brian what stuff. are you talking about <laughs> i've watched boy in the hair a few times and every time grand uncle is talking to him like i will give you my gift i'm like oh girl probably hates this <laughs> but, but anyway enough of that but but uh not enough people have seen it the choice the mojito makes in that beat in that moment to go back to the dark world instead of being allowed boundless creativity i think is incredibly brilliant and moving to me i think I think Boy in the Heron takes a little while to get going. I think that first hour is slow. I didn't mean to jump into your thing No, again, no, but, it's okay. I'm um, thinking what you're saying. I think that first hour is slow, but I think by the end, everything is paid off so emotionally and so well, you don't mind. I didn't find the first hour slow. Okay. I mean, especially uh, the, the scene that opens it up with the with the fire. The fire. And, and it was the, incredible. Yeah, yeah the yeah. running. Cinematically, it was. Whew. And then I was just in for the ride where he's slowly exploring that, that yeah. countryside where he goes to. I called it a horror movie on Letterboxd, and someone was like, how is it a horror movie? I'm like, he has visions of his mom burning alive like every night. <laughs> like, what are we talking about? There are like, definitely it's got horror... every genre element in it. I th- oh, and he bashes his head with the blood and the pelican who's dying. Like, it's got horror elements oh, for sure. I think all of Miyazaki's yes. films do. This yeah. one perhaps more than, than others. And you can, you can make a Mononoke, case. Okay, probably. Yeah. You, you can make a case that it's largely in his head after yeah, he yeah. knocked himself silly. Yeah. I'm th- sure. th- this movie has uh, um, rewatchability layers. layers. Yeah. 100%. I, everything that these guys have said 
I was on uh, Letterboxd. One of our friends, John Hammerly, was on there and was the first guy on there that I follow that didn't like the movie. Oh. But what? But he, John, we got to talk. I know, and he's probably listening to this. But uh, John, you know, he was just being honest. He said, "I just waiting for the moment where I, I get Miyazaki." And he's like, it just hasn't worked for me yet. Oh, you know? I, I, I thought you okay. meant this movie specifically. No. I watched it with my 10-year-old. And at one point, and this is the only thing you need to know about this movie. I said, it's one point, like a good two-thirds of the way through, he said, I have no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, I tur- <laughs> and I turned to him and I went, do you emotionally understand what's going on? And he said, yeah. Right. And I was like, and that is it. That That's is all you need to That's unlock Miyazaki. You don't need to follow Point A to point B, you need to have the follow the emotional logic of it. Exactly, and I keep going back to the point where it's like when you're watching a movie, it's it's like you're you're being able to see Miyazaki's dreams on screen, and you just got to go with the flow and just exactly like you're saying, let the emotion wash over you. The music's fantastic. The animation, it needs three, four watches to yeah. really appreciate. I, I've only seen it the one time. Uh, I'm going to see it again in the theater before it, it leaves the theater. So I will be out there a second time. Number one at the box office. It was, was awesome the to most see. Ama- one of the, another amazing story from this year. Like, how did that happen? So great. Because it deserves it. Maybe these I, have podcasts you guys seen the dub? and all I the writing the we're doing is working. Has anyone seen the dub? I haven't seen the dub. No. no. I hear it's great. I, I hear it's great, too. Ryan told me. That's yeah, right. I That's do want to see that. I've not seen the dub. No. Um, my six is probably the one that might make people the maddest. Um, I'm very... Strange movie, a funny movie, but that's also a thriller. That's also a commentary on the person who made it. That's also about perfectionism gone awry. That's also been misread a thousand times. It's the David Fincher's The Killer. Um, wow. Yeah, I think it's phenomenal. Oh, sorry, I just had a <laughs> big glass of whiskey there yeah. after you said The Killer. I think it's phenomenal. This high on your list. Yeah. This is my number 11, and I oh. thought I was putting it high. <laughs> it is so well made and it is hysterical and it is weird and it is great and I, I can't stop thinking about some of the choices he made and how many people misunderstand it like it, it's the most misread movie of the year like oh he's not really that great a killer yeah that's the fucking point sorry everybody <laughs> like the, in the idea that someone who listens to the Smiths meet his murder while they're eating a cheeseburger like is not supposed to be a comedy <laughs> this is a fucking comedy like what are we talking about and, and also the meta reading of it which is that David Fincher is a notorious perfectionist, someone who does a thousand takes of a thousand films. And this is about a perfectionist who keeps going awry. And the voiceover, the narration is the best of the year. My favorite thing about the narration is how he's constantly lying to himself and others. He's talking about plan, don't improvise while he's getting beat up by the guy he didn't plan for. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like it's constantly that. Man, don't exactly. <laughs> Forbid empathy and stuff like that while he's acting out of empathy the entire film. His entire run there is to because he got 100%. cuz he's acting out of emotion the whole way. I just think it's a great movie technically and thematically and I think it's the kind of thing I'm going to rewatch. I thought Mank was kind of a disappointment from Fincher, a filmmaker I usually like. I liked Mank. Oh, uh, fine. But The Killer's better and um, I'm glad that he kind of bounced back with this quirky little thing that's also a great little commentary on capitalism like all the capitalism jabs in it like right. we work in mcdonald's and there's there's brands everywhere mm-hmm. and he's constantly a part of all of it it's almost like perfectionism is distracted by capitalism there's just multiple ways to read this movie and i can't wait to see it again and i love it yes it has so many great scenes in the movie also i, I love the opening with with the actual uh job the that, narration is such garbage too and, <laughs> 
and the use of the sound in there when yep. he's listening to the Smiths, yep. and then his his vo- his mind takes over, yep. and you go out from the earbuds into his head again, back into the right. earbuds, yep. back out, and it was just like, yes, I'm totally vibing with this. And then you realize he's so full of shit. Like that's the that's the best part of it. <laughs> and, and then he ends up missing anyways. Exactly. That's the best part of it. But you, like it sets itself up. It's like, oh, this guy's cool, and he's yeah. an icy assassin. And then no, he's just a dummy who eats McDonald's and, and he dresses like a German tourist because he blends in and he, he looks like he wouldn't blend in anywhere. <laughs> like he's just so bad at his job. It's also got some just phenomenal editing and cinematography, all the classic Fincher hallmarks, yeah. just you, so well put you, together. You got him taking names of famous sitcom and Oh, that uh, stuff's people. amazing. It's the funniest movie of the year. It was I'm sorry, great. it just is. And then the fight scene that yes. I love in the dark. The haywire so scene. Well, so well shot, yep. choreographed, yep. Uh, the lighting in there is great. So there's a lot of highlights in The Killer. I'm, I'm high up on this one as well. There we go. Just missed your list, huh? Just missed it. That That's what I had at 10. I kept going back b- between that and Godzilla. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to put Godzilla at number 10. All right. Uh, at number seven, sorry, at number six for me, it is Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, number go. two, Across the Spider-Verse. We might have more repetition this year than ever, which will maybe get us under two hours and 45 minutes Did of this we? podcast. <laughs> so I was the only one with TMNT, but we all three had Into the Spider-Verse and Boy and the Heron in our yeah, bottom six. I have a feeling bottom. we've got some more of that. I think we got two more. Maybe. We'll see. Um, but anyway, do we need to talk more about Spider-Man? I, I think we covered it pretty well. Yep. Yeah. I'm excited for the third one. I guess we'll go with this question. Between the two, uh, I think this is a very tight race for the Oscar when it comes to best animated. Going around the table, who do you got winning the Oscar? Oh, I thought you were going to ask a different question, which I'll ask after that. I think Ghibli wins just because Miyazaki, they're going to want to give it to him. He's 90. It's, I think it's the it's, last time. Yeah. And, they can, and the other reason is they can save it and give it to the last Spider-Verse movie. My question is, do you like this more than the first Spider-Verse movie? I do. Believe it or not, I, I like this one even better than the first Spider-Verse. I'm on the fence. I think the first one is such a beautifully, it's aged incredibly well, and it's this own its own tight little thing. Like, the new one sometimes goes a little, I kind of want to see them all, but I think the, 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 the first one stands on its own as this beautiful little thing, whereas the second one maybe doesn't. I don't recall from, what was it, 2019, though, but was Spider-Verse 1 in your top 10, mm. Brian? I believe it, if it wasn't, okay. it was in the runner-ups. Yeah, uh, but it's also the kind of thing where I think it's gone up since I saw it. Yeah, yeah that's fair. It, yep. I, I like. Uh, that's it's a, a tough, tough question. Call. Yeah, it is. But it, I it think feels, I might like the second one, but that could be recency bias. Yeah. I, yeah. I feel that we would be having this conversation uh, on the original Star Wars, like you said. Uh, everybody was blown away by Star Wars, and then they saw Empire Strikes Back, and then everybody argues like, "Ah, I'm an Empire guy," or you know, right, 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 like in it, Clerks. But we're talking about that higher quality of film. That's the the main thing. Yeah. They're, it, they're that good. Hope, they, hope they stick the landing. And I think you're right on the Oscar. I thought it was going to be Spider Verse until I saw. Yep. I'll Boy say this for CFCA for my association. Boy and the Heron won, and it was not particularly close. Really? Yeah. So, and I think until Boy and the Heron came along, it would have been Spider Verse. I'd love to see Miyazaki at the Oscars. Does he travel no. for there? Because no. if he's so, ninety years old, he does, I know, he does but not we would tra- get a he barely le- barely leaves his house. He does we'd not get travel. get a beautiful moment. We still oh. might get a standing ovation without him not even yeah. there. Yeah. Well, I mean, Wind Rises won, didn't it? I think no, it did. No, I think the only thing that's won easily is, is worst, so it shouldn't have. But. Oh, tough crowd. No. Um, not as worst. Definitely Spirited Away won. Spirited Away won the first oh, yes. animated Oscar of all time. What's Hayao's worst? Uh, Don't give me Ponyo. I'll be so it's upset. Not it's probably Ponyo. I've got a list on Vulture, and I can't remember what's worse. Mm-hmm. Well, the Goros are at the bottom. But, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, we don't count Goro. We don't count Goro. I don't Ronyan. remember what it is, but it's not Ponyo, and it's not um, Wind Rises. I can't remember. Hmm. Let's check. Yeah. Well, that's our Spider-Verse and Boy and the Huron talk. We, we, I, 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 unless KP surprises us. 
All right. All right. Time for uh, number where six. Where are we at? Oh. My number six. Oh, yeah, go. The biggest movie of the year. $1.3 billion at the box office. And I'm getting, and it wasn't a Marvel movie. And I'm getting calls. It should be my number one. Greta's calling me. I'm not putting it there, but Greta, you got to be happy. It's my number six film of the year, Barbie. Way too low, Rye. Way too low, huh? I think so. Okay, well, I know we're going to talk about it, so I'm not going to go uh, full detail because I'd like to talk about it a little bit you know, after a few more whiskeys. But I will say, uh, I had a total blast with this, and I commented when we reviewed it here about how strange and weird the movie was, and I mean that in a good way, for as big of a blockbuster as it was. It had something to say, um, and when you're putting that a movie in front of that many eyeballs across the country, um, to be able to have something and get people talking uh, about the message of the movie it was fantastic. And then you have the cast. I mean, Gosling as Ken... Probably going to get an Oscar nomination, possible win for the going to win. Yeah, I think, I think he's going to win. Possible win for it. I think he. Yeah, I, think I, I, I agree. Because he didn't win for La La Land. They like him. It's him or Downey. You don't think uh, the guy from May December? No, 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 no. Okay, just a, just a nomination. Not though. just a nomination. Yeah. Okay, um, but everybody in this movie uh, played the role. Even Kristen Wiig, who played the weird Barbie, was perfectly cast in the film. And to the point where one of the biggest laughs for me was when Margot Robbie, who plays Barbie, is crying, talking about how she's so ugly and yada yada, and then the voiceover comes on and says that this is a bad time, that we should have casted Margot Robbie. She's even perfectly cast here, obviously. And Greta Gerwig, who I know we're all fans of for, you know, a decade plus on all her indie work, and we love her, we love Noah Baumbach, to see this come and be the biggest movie of the year from these two people who I cherish from the indie scene all the way on, Makes me feel like I'm doing my job the right way. Like I'm, I'm always talking about Greta Gerwig. I'm always talking about Bombach, and now they get their chance to do something big on a large scale. And did they knock it out of the park? Hell yeah, they did. Barbie. It's a good movie. Yeah. Not my top ten, but I like it. We'll we'll be talking about it. Oh, well, there you go. Not for me though. Let's take a break after our sixth. We, okay. we, we reached the halfway point. We're doing pretty good here. On time, too, I think. Uh, right around yeah. 50 minutes. minutes. Okay, 50, we're 14. doing pretty good. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, the rest of our top five and a little fun question regarding our top ten at the end in lieu of trivia. Stick with us. Let's, let's, let's all go to the lobby. Let's Still Emma Stone month here, and we finally are getting to a great clip from La La Land. Here she is talking to Ryan Gosling about why she's worried she might not be good enough. You have to make sense. If you want me to be quiet, you have to make some goddamn sense. You tell me why you're not going. Because, because I've been to a million auditions, and the same thing happens every time, where I get interrupted because someone wants to get a sandwich, or I'm crying, and they start laughing, or there's people sitting in the waiting room, and they're, they're like me, but prettier and better at the, because maybe I'm not good enough. Yes, you are. No. No, maybe I'm not. Yes, you are. Maybe I'm not. You are. Maybe I'm not. You are. Maybe I'm one of those people that has always wanted to do it, but it's like a pipe dream for me, you know? And then you you set it. You, you change your dreams, and then you grow up. Maybe I'm one of those people, and I'm not supposed to. And I can go back to school, and I can find something else that I'm supposed to do, because I left to do that and it's been six years and I don't want to do it anymore. And we're back. 
on Cinemajaw. It is our year-end episode, top 10 of 2023. We threw something maybe into the fish tank. I don't know if we did, but it, it, it doesn't matter. We're going to open the fish tank. KP's in there. She's got stuff to say. Wait a moment. Who's coming with me besides Flipper? Here. That's a Sicilian message. That means Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Thank you so much for letting me out this week. We did not throw anything in here, which is a welcome relief, right? We already made the analogy that Brian is Santa Claus. Well, we don't mention, right? We we deliver Brian cookies and milk in the form of Maker's Mark and beer. Brian brings us a hot dog red KP every year. Every year this happens. Don't blame Brian for that. I am a master of blame deflecting, and this falls squarely on Brian's shoulders. I believe as far you as I'm bought concerned. the Maker's Mark this year. Yeah. Because of Brian. <laughs> that is blame. Of course. Of course. Uh, but yes, always happy to be out here. And I believe this is also my time to shine for my number one. I want to mention, right, we're talking about a shift in cinema this year. For me, as an animator myself, we are in a shift in terms of the fact that Matt Kay had three animated films in a row. The two of you also had two animated films. Uh, huge, huge. Huge. And that my number one is still an animated film that was not mentioned. Wow. Uh, well, I will preface this by also saying I have not seen The Boy and the Heron, which I, I have plans for that coming up with one of my friends. And I have no doubt that this current pick will be redacted because of that. Uh, but. Can I guess? Suzume? No. Oh, did you see that no, though? No, I oh, haven't. you need to see that. This one, okay, this one I think is a sleeper and we forgot about it because of Netflix. For me, it's deeply personal uh, as like the only animated film this year discussing the complicated, overcomplicated of an social construct of an arbitrary oh, I know what you're thinking. Yeah. Wow, yes. It's Nimona! Yeah, yeah, it yeah. is Nimona! Yeah. Sure, sure. It is Nimona. Similar to Everything all, everything, Everywhere All sure, at Once sure. last year, this film felt like it was made for me. Right, right. Um, I, I think it, it discusses really complicated topics like gender fluidity as well as the messiness of human connection and even darker parts of the human experience so beautifully and in such a digestible and child safe way in ways that are not celebrated enough. Sure. I also think for me, and we talked about this with Wish, which for the record, I am drinking all alcohol out of my Disney's Wish light up sippy cup. As well intended. As well intended. Yes, exactly. 100 years Dis of this. Disney is not sponsoring the podcast. <laughs> this is okay. Um, I, I, I think it was a... a one, we loved this movie on the show. And I think similar to Wish, it was a time where, for me as a millennial, feeling like this really cool connection to this particular film where the lessons that my peers and I wish we had known earlier, mm. we are finally in a position to be discussing and creating children's content for. Mm. And again, like selfishly, as me as an animator, genderqueer human being, it brought so much to the table that I think so valuable. Hell yeah. Again, the lessons that I wish I knew 
when I was at the age consuming this media. Sure, sure, sure. I showed it to my kids. Representation matters. Absolutely. It in every way. Has I'm in, in glad, every single way. I'm glad. I actually had a feeling it was Nimona, and I'm glad yeah. it came up on the podcast. I think it needs to be discussed at the end of the year because it got sort of swept under the rug a little bit because of the Netflix machine. Exactly. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, it's yeah just, the algorithm. Net, yeah, Netflix is too big, and it's just like if, if, if it doesn't catch in that opening you know, weekend and starts getting on their top ten, no one, no one knows about the movie. True that. It's a shame because because I like I told my whole family I'm like we have to watch this movie. It'll be every single one of your favorite movies of the year, <laughs> and they loved it. I, I also think kids, yeah. the way that they use shape shifting as an analogy for gender fluidity is right. super under underrated. Andy Stevenson did such a tremendous job of breaking down these highly nuanced topics sure. in such such an approachable way beautiful uh, absolutely yeah. yep well said while we're still in the fish tank i will mention next week on the show we always like to preview we have still uh i think we're locked in with mark dusick coming on if he has time outside of watching one of his 650 movies in the year yeah. reviews, reviews 15 movies a week it makes me tired <laughs> reading how much he reviews mark dusick's going to come on and we are going to do our top five favorite scenes of the oh, year nice uh review we still got to talk oh, now, about there's going to fry my brain trying to figure that out so uh we got a lot to talk about as far as reviews but yeah. Jawheads, our top five will be our favorite scenes uh, of the year with Mark Dusick. It's um, probably going to be Aquaman. Just right, yeah. <laughs> Aquaman <laughs> spearing a fish. <laughs> All right, jump back in that fish tank. Will do. We've done our ten through six. On to our big ones. Our number five. We start with Brian. A film from a master, a filmmaker who has not gotten enough credit, in my opinion, um, about kind of about the troubles of telling stories, the troubles of figuring people out and how we can't figure people out. And it's May, December from Todd Haynes. Um, it's about an actress named, uh, what's her, played by Natalie Portman. I'm trying to remember the character's name, but she goes to visit Julian Moore who raped a young man, uh, played by Charles Melton and started a relationship. I mean, I think I, I'm always startled when reviewers talk their way around the fact that it was rape. She raped a young man. And then, but the, it's kind of the Mary Lake K. Letourneau story. Um, but what I find fascinating about this movie is that it, the way it makes you uncomfortable and how Todd wants oh, you yeah. to be uncomfortable while you're watching it and trying to, people have called it camp, people have called it comedy, people have called it drama. It's everything, it's all of it all in once. And then I love the end of this movie where it's kind of basically revealed that she got nowhere with these people. I said in one of my reviews of this that she could never figure them out because they have no idea who they are themselves. Like they've never been able to figure themselves out. They're stuck in adolescence and predatory behavior and they're lashing out and grabbing out at people. He's trying for any sort of human connection with Natalie Portman's character and others. She pushes away any sort of human connection with her daughters and all the sniping and horrible behavior she portrays. The performances are great. I think it's the best script of the year. Honestly, it's such a good year that this is my five. It would normally be higher. So I can't get behind the whole this is a good year talk. <laughs> well, let me talk, talk about May-December really quick. We, uh, yeah, I got we, stuff to say, too. We just reviewed it a couple weeks ago, yep. and I famously said that I didn't know what to rate the movie because... I was so confused on the vibe of the film in, in one it's of the first times. And intentional. Yeah. And I even told you, Matt, I'm going to go back and I'm going to watch it. I held true. 
I watched it a second time. Okay. It's right outside my top 10. I love this movie. Um, the, the screening I saw it in, too, the first time was about like one of those screenings where there's only like 20 people, yeah. 20 critics. And I had mentioned there, there were one or two people laughing their head off at everything. And I was watching it like it was a drama. It's it, everything. Right. It was confusing. It's you know? supposed to be. Right. He, he wants you to but ask why we even tell these stories. Right. But I didn't understand that yeah. at all. And now I so appreciate that the film is challenging us that yes. way. It's like, wow, this is so great. It's supposed to be like, wait, is that funny? Oh, right. no. Is that... Am I supposed to be creeped out by why this? Am oh, why am I watching this? Exactly. Why, why do we read these stories and, in tabloids? And then we start questioning yep. us and, and looking at I us. Love and it. Love it. The music, that over-dramatized oh, so music is fantastic. Natalie Portman. The Portman. All, maybe your all best. performances are so Maybe good. your best. I think it's better than her Black Swan performance. Oh, that Black Swan performance. It's up there, though. Yeah, it's that, very good. That scene Better where, than Queen Amidala? I'll tell you this. Better that, than that. That scene when she goes to the <laughs> <laughs> she goes to the pet shop by herself. Oh, it's amazing. And she uh, sits there and tries yes. to reenact. Yeah. Oh, my God. When I was watching this the second time, I was laughing hysterically. I couldn't believe she, like, puts the, her wrist, that like, bizarre scene. Todd Haynes is an insane so director of performers. I mean, Julian Moore in Far From Heaven and Blanchett and Mara and Carol, like he just knows how to draw performances out of largely women. Uh, he's just incredible at it. Okay. You you said that you don't think she got anywhere with these people. Look at her performance in the fake movie at the end. It's horrible. No, I, I think she's just a horrible actor. She's a TV actor. She got somewhere with the guy, at least. She wasn't, wait, as an investigative she, journalist or wait, whatever. are we going to spoil the movie? Can, can we spoil no, the movie? No, no I wouldn't. Uh, we're not spoiling anything. Don't. don't don't flat out spoil, I don't think. She's as much of a predator as Julian Moore's character. Oh, no. Oh, absolutely. She uses him and his body and his personality. I mean, not in the sense because he was a child, but in terms of predatory behavior, she does to him. And, th and she does that on purpose to try and get in the head of Julian Moore's character, who she's supposed to play. She uses him. That's true, yes. but they're both content, consenting Fine, adults. Exactly, so she's not as much of a predator. But the point is, her behavior is predatory and abusive, emotionally abusive, to a man who's in arrested development, who's a child, essentially. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. It is. <laughs> I, I was a little skeptical on this movie. I've come around slightly, especially hearing you guys. I was in the camp of of uh, it's the, the Emperor's got no clothes you know uh, like i think it was trying to be i don't know trying to say oh look look at how great it is it's so campy i think it tips its hand early on with the with the whole joke over the barbecue like you know i've it's seen her scene I, I, no I no i liked it. that yeah but the memification of things where we got to see the hot dog clip over and over again drives me <laughs> fucking crazy well i think it it, it lets you in on the fact that hey there's going to be some Weird, weird tonal shifts. Yeah. Give me more movies with weird tonal shifts, for God's sake. It's definitely intriguing. I'll yeah, give it that yeah. much. I love Didn't weird tonal shifts. Didn't make my top 10. Yep. The other thing is, I didn't know this. This uh, what's his name, Melton Charles Melton? Oh yeah, he's great. I didn't even know who this guy was. I guess he was on that Riverdale yep. show. I don't watch that, so to me, he's a complete unknown. I'm like, who is this guy? And now phenomenal. everybody's going bonkers over. Well, him. to go toe to toe with those two, I mean. Oh, I agree. I agree. I mean. Fantastic. So May, December, good pick at number five. What do you got, Matt? All right. I have a number five that will probably be the most controversial pick of the evening. I thought that was going to be the killer, but I guess not. No. <laughs> Certainly, I think Brian will push back on me for this one. Ryan might be accepting. I just had a ton of fun with this movie. Loved it. And as I was making my list, I'm like, I got to just be honest with myself. That's all I ever ask. Yeah. It's freaking Megan. Oh sure. What? I loved <laughs> Megan. Listen, I listen. Lo I me. love this choice. 
when, when. All right, listen. The the moment, like laser focus, I can tell you exactly the moment when I realized this film was going to make my top ten of the year, and it's when she sings Titanium. I was like, "Holy shit! This is probably the the one of the best comedy horrors I've ever seen." the The dance became a meme. The performance, the 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 of that was a child performing Megan. By the way. Mm-hmm is so underappreciated and unsung this year. One of the, the best, like, prosthetic, what do you want to call that kind of performance? It's... Uh, I don't know. Right? Like, alt, uh, Puppet performance? What's AR? Like, augmented reality. But a little bit. It, like, they, they they augment up the actual performance sure. with CGI. Okay. It's not a full-on mocap no, performance. it's like an augmented reality kind right. of thing. Wow, her movements as a child were were phenomenal. Just like her, the the way she was menacing and and filled the 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 frame. Holy crap! Megan was so much fun, and I will not apologize for this pick at number five. Loved this movie. How, how, high, were how high were you? I was. I don't even smoke. Totally stone sober. I can't sober. believe this is a five. Again, you always screw this no, up. No, I'm fine with it. If, if this was fine. at like a 10, I'd be like, hell yeah, Matt K. But a five? Five's I, a little high. Yeah, it's a but little it, high. But it's still, it I admire the limb. But I will say this. I remember enjoying it also. And it was like a sure. surprise because I, I, what I like now, and I, I there's that Night Swim movie coming yeah, out yeah, in Yeah, yeah, I'm January. all in on that. I'm all in on that what, goofy shit. I, I like. I love <laughs> Give that. me goofy January shit. Yeah. Teddy bear I, movie too. I love this new trend. Oh yeah, that thing. Imaginary. Give, give yeah. me something weird. Give me something yeah. experimental. Love or it. you know, when you're tired from Oscar season and you want something 100%, dumb. Hundred yep. percent. It took Hollywood a little while, I think, to realize that. Yep. But Megan was, I think, uh, talking about a, a year 2023 where things shifted. I think this is a year where it's like, oh, look what we got. Because Megan was a humongous hit. For January, anyways, within reason. Within I mean, reason, in I Bloom mean, House money, right? But, but I he's mean, been doing this January's forever. He finds garbage, tiny little budgets shooting. and makes a hit every few years. It was a hit. I'm Bloom, telling you. And I, Jason I was Bloom's a, a very smart producer. Like he, he bombs every once in a while. But there's such a low threshold of budget that when one hits, he can pay for the ones really that don't clean up. Yeah, yeah. 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 Megan was uh, brilliant from Blumhouse. Brilliant. Brilliant is a I, big word. I know. I'm using <laughs> not sure Megan could spell it. All right, go ahead. But she would spell it with, with a three. <laughs> Love it. Love it. All right. My number five pick is uh, monumental because a director has made three movies and all three movies have made my top ten. The director's name oh. is Ari Aster. Yeah. This I is love a Ari bold, Aster. This might be bolder than Megan. And... This was early on in the year. We're going to be talking about this, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. And Bo is Afraid is my number five pick of the year. I I know me and Matt, we actually sat next to each other um, in the screening, and I knew this movie affected Matt. And Matt, it, the movie is about anxiety. And I, I knew Matt when we came out, when, when you, for some reason, smoked three cigarettes in a row, I knew you were affected by this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I needed to go have a drink, like immediately. But I will say this. Um, Ari Aster, this is a different type of horror film than his, his previous. Even though you got some anxiety, obviously, in um, the last film that he did. Right, Midsummer. Midsummer. Oh, Midsummer. Thank yeah. you. Um, for sure. But in this one, it's really high anxiety, and Bo has these mommy issues, and he's on a journey to go see his mom. The entire film is, I mean, it's a tour de force by Joaquin Phoenix. I, I'm pissed. 
that he's not getting talked about. Golden Globe more. nomination. Well, it's because know, it's because Napoleon sucks so bad. I know, but that's it, uh, it's it, also because Bo is afraid is a hard movie. Golden yes. Globe. I'm glad that he got that. But I I'm thought, as amazed he got it. I thought when when this came out, I thought, well, he's my front runner for the rest of the year for the best acting, huh. and now it just seems like it got swept under the rug. Like it's, oh yeah, Golden it's a Globe. Really Whoopie difficult do. movie to hold on to. It yeah. is. It's weird. It's strange. It's long. Also, we gave Marty a hard time on, yeah. on the length. This is long. But, it's probably too long, and it also suffers from the fact that I don't want to go back and rewatch it. Oh, necessarily. I can't. I, I'm going to rewatch but it. But I will rewatch it. I got the screener at home. I'll give it another spin. But there's so many great scenes. I mean, that opening. The first hour. The whole the first hour, freaking movie. The, the first. Well, I'm not. I'm not going that far. But the first right, we'll hour is one of the best films of the year. Incredible. Yeah. I mean, when he's on the phone and they're they're telling him that his mom died and it's this chandelier and they're going through this whole explanation. The first hour is amazing. It was hilarious. The party and in his apartment oh. at the same time. I don't think it lives up to that first hour. That's my uh, issue. I, I don't know. I think it kind of meanders and loses its focus, and which is intentional. Parker Posey's so Parker scene. Posey's incredible, yep. always and forever. But it it, it kind of. That last hour, I don't think. I think it's his weakest filmmaking. People get lost at the penis monster. A lot of people I think like Ari gets lost in the last hour. <laughs> I don't know, man. That ending was just amazing. It's like Brazil at the end. You know, it's so bonkers. It just. I thought we were going to talk about it some more. Are yeah, we? we are. Okay, we'll hold it right there. We'll put a pin in it. Bo is afraid is my number five into our force. If you had asked me what film would be on both of your top tens, I never would have guessed Bo is afraid. <laughs> It's fine. It's not in my top ten. Um, my four is a film that premiered at my festival, uh, played at Sundance originally, and then had a Chicago premiere at my festival. And it's been read as a story of unrequited love, and that's part of it. But it's also a story of immigration and how much we kind of change and give up when we move to another country and have to take a new name and a new life and the life we left behind that might have been something else. And that's Celine Song's Past Lives. I think it's a beautiful movie it moves me incredibly in its final hour i think it's got final 15 minutes or so it's got remarkable performances from greta lee and Teo Yu and john magaro who's also great it's just a really delicate human character study which we don't get that often i believe every minute of every scene in that film and that's hard to do We've been doing this so long, I can tell by Ryan's body language he hasn't seen this one. No, no of you were totally wrong. He did. I saw it at his festival. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. In, in fact, I, I, I was so pissed because I was out of town for the beginning of the Chicago Critics Film Festival. I was so upset. Like, oh, I'm traveling with my brother to see a soccer match. And at the same time, I'm pissed that I'm missing the first half of the Chicago Critics. But I was coming back, and the first film I saw was Past Lives. I have not seen it since then. It's yeah, it's in my 11 through 15. It's not on my top 10. Huh. Love this movie. Uh, the ending scene, I know we're going to do scenes with Mark Dusick. It's oh, it's tough, a good one. It's tough to not have that it's as maybe the scene of the year. There's been a lot of great scenes. Um, there's so there's so much good stuff in, in here. you got to check this one it's out. A, it's a, oh, you haven't seen it? Mm. Oh, you really should. There's a ton of, like, like, we talk about craft in something like The Killer because it's so obvious, like the use of music. and Or we talk about Atticus and Ross's, uh, oh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross's score in certain films. Like when craft is obvious, we have a habit of talking about it. The craft in past lives is remarkable and you don't even notice it. There's a scene where she reunites with her childhood crush and they're, they're walking by the river, the Hudson river and everyone around them is a couple like in the background, which kind of amplifies the sense of couplehood mm, and the idea of con connections. And they get to a merry-go-round and there's a merry-go-round behind them. And there are only two kids on the merry-go-round who are roughly exactly the same age as the last time these two people saw each other. 
a subtle detail in the background, a subtle craft detail. These are the films that last, the ones that have these kind of subtle choices that you don't even notice, but they impact the way you're watching and appreciating the film. Absolutely. Subliminally. I Subliminally. Love, I love that shot, and it's in the trailer, too, where when they're in the... the younger kids uh, oh, version the different stairs and they go down the different stairs pathway even that i think the trailer ends on that shot i, I remember watching that like oh my god it's just perfect the it, location of that is great everything. and i'm not an immigrant but i have friends who have spoken to the fact that it understands that idea that the alternate reality we leave when we go to another country and we she literally changes her name and, and when he refers to her by her old name it's like well if she hadn't left she becomes a different person in a sense, but not not intrinsically, she's the same person, but the idea that the path curves off there and what if it didn't? What mm-hmm. if we left something behind, a past life in a sense? Past lives, good mm. one, Matt. All right, I'll jump in on it. Uh, swings it to my number four, and I'm going with The Holdovers at number four. Very good movie. We're getting into the heavy hitters, absolutely. Yeah. Holdovers, listen, if either of you guys had it at number one, which I'm guessing you probably don't, I, I would be like, okay, all right, fine. The Holdovers is incredibly layered. Every character is rich and detailed. Maybe not so much the, the, the guys that leave the story early on, but the main players, each one of them gets a satisfying arc. I think it's a new, timeless Christmas classic. You know, like one that you'll spin... I don't know if it's quite up there with like uh, Wonderful Life or Home Alone or or like it's going to be on TV every year. Christmas. I, story. I said that to someone so. like two days ago. I was like, people are going to watch this movie every year, and it didn't dawn on me until the second viewing that it's going to have I need that to watch holiday it. season thing. I've only watched it once. I'm going to Michigan for the holidays. I'm bringing the screener to show it to my you parents. Physical? You're going to do digital? We'll see. Sorry, don't want to. Let's not get too. I can't baseball. remember which one I got. <laughs> I don't think I got a physical. But anyway, sorry. I think, I think we only got digital. Oh, we only you get... definitely have the digital. Yeah. One way or another, I'm going to watch it again with my parents just to see. Because I think it's this year's coda, you know, like th- that sleeper sneaky hit that's really going to turn some eyeballs. Giamatti and Randolph both won CFCA awards. I think they both could get an Oscar. Translate that at Oscar. I, well, I think Randolph's going to win. Like, I, I don't think that's even close. What about Giamatti? That's really Giamatti's a little about. closer. I think Murphy's got a real good shot there because I think yeah. Oppenheimer's going to do very well. But I think yeah. I don't think anyone's close in supporting actress to Divine Joy Randolph, who is fantastic in this movie. Love this movie. It is one that I know I'm going to watch. Well, we'll talk about things at at the end here. All right. She. Uh, a brief thought on holdovers. What I love about holdovers because I've done it. I've watched it twice and I liked it even more the second time, which Can't indicates wait. its staying power. Alexander Payne has been accused of being a little misanthropic, like condescending to his characters. If you think about it, is he kind of making fun of the characters in Nebraska for that kind of stuff? Is he kind of making fun of the characters in Election and Citizen Ruth this time? zero of that he loves these characters he loves them to death he wants to see them succeed and find happiness it's just a really warm movie and that's what i love about it mm-hmm. I, I agree even though the characters yeah well he said i saw the premiere at tiff and he introduced it by saying people always accused me of making 70s comedy so i just made a 70s comedy <laughs> <laughs> so it's that yeah it's Hal ashby through and through Harold yeah. Maude. it's got that tone it does. <clears throat> Fantastic movie. At my number four, my second foreign film of the year, and that is Brian. Uh, Anatomy of a Fall? It is. Okay. Anatomy of a Fall is my number four pick of the year. It is the winner of the top prize over at the Cannes Film Festival. Is this on your list, Brian, or no? No, okay, 11 to 20. Sure. I know uh, Matt I, hasn't I've seen this. I've got the one but... that beat it, or that should have beat it. 
Yeah. Okay. I, I figure that. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I have a, Anatomy of a Fall. This made a splash. Whenever anybody wins a big top prize over at Berlin or Cannes, it's always going to make some news. Sure. A lot of times I'm skeptical. I don't. Well, a lot necessarily... of them haven't been great lately. Yeah, I don't yeah, want Triangle of, of Sadness. Sadness. Everybody got to yeah. go see this. Triangle of Sadness, you know, the square, not great. You feel as a critic like, oh, now one. I got to check this one out. Yeah. All right. Go see this movie. It's very good. Wow, was I in. So it's a French film. It's about three quarters in French and about a quarter in English. So hopefully that may, maybe doesn't scare people away mm-hmm. who don't like subtitle films out there. Check it out. You get a little uh, I'm not relief. sure it's even that high. I think like half of it might be in English because okay. a lot of the courtroom stuff. Yeah. So it is uh, about a, a couple, married couple, who the husband uh, has died from a fall and the, the wife is accused of murder. And their son, who is blind, is the only witness to... Half blind. He's not like fully blind. Yeah, not yeah. fully blind, but has trouble with eyesight. Yes, Let's yes, just yes. go with that. Yeah, it's important. And, yes. Um, he's the first one to the scene and is and the only witness to the crime. And a lot of this takes place in the courtroom. So it sounds like it might be like, oh, God, one of these movies. Number one, if you're a fan of like one of those people out there that says, boy, I want to be on a jury because I want to solve a murder case. This is the greatest of them all because the way the information comes out is absolutely fantastic. Uh, you're involved in the case. The performance by Sandra Hewler is my favorite of the year. And I love a lot of performances, but I think she is so strong here. It's literally incredible. Um, And I will say this. It it talks about truth and the perception of truth by whichever way you're looking at the story. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting because we, the viewer, as we're watching this, start to form an opinion, but then slowly... Uh, as she especially takes the stand at one point and mm-hmm. she talks about this one therapist. And if, if you were to say this, then everybody else would f- see this point of view. In the world we live in right now where nobody knows what the truth is anymore, this was so poignant and mm-hmm. such a, a, a perfect movie inside, wrapped inside the perfect courtroom drama. Like I was all in on the drama. And at the end, a lot of these movies walk away with like sort of spoiling it at the end. Or I think a lot of courtroom dramas don't know how to do that perfect ending. It's like, ah, oh, what was that? This one absolutely nailed it. It's neon too, right? Mm-hmm. It is. It's in the neon book uh, that we got. Book. And wow, I, I, I'm all in on this one. It's my number four pick. Might have to show this one to my parents too. The title is double meaning because it's not just the literal fall. It's the dissolution of a marriage that we watch through the flashbacks. You see how they fell apart and how they lost connection to each other long before he either killed himself or she killed him. Do you think the end is ambiguous? Some people do and I do not. So I don't I don't either. I don't no. want to spoil anything. I but don't I, either. I think I know exactly what happened. Do I you? also do. Okay, good. But but even even better, I'm listening to podcasts and I've read reviews where people are are back and forth and I love it even more that some people are like, Oh, I don't know, it could be I this or it I could don't be get that. that reading, though. But I once 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 the the, the son took the stand. We're, we're spoiling. Yeah, a little bit. I'm gonna leave it right there. Once the son took that the stand. That testimony seals I, it. I had I, I believe okay. him. Do you believe him? I do too. Then we're done. Okay. The, so, the, the, so then it's not point, ambiguous. It, it, the only way for it to be ambiguous is if you think he's lying. But I know, but it I could see where that could go. I could see where people are But I don't see the motivation for him to lie. Well, he wants to stay with his mom. What choice then would he have? Okay. Uh, I, I would say they opened it up enough where you're wondering, you're wondering, you should be as a viewer wondering if he's telling the truth or not. I, I don't think so. And here's why. Because we see the flashback of him in the car with his dad. 
In other words, if it was just his word on the stand, then it's ambiguous. But you, when he's giving that testimony, you literally see that happen. I mean, it's his voice coming out of his dad. But by so that's his point of view. But by making it happen, by 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 letting us see that conversation, even through his testimony, by by what's the word I'm looking for? Recreating that. I don't think you can think he's lying. Hmm. That's just the way I look at that. Having not even seen the movie, if I saw another character's voice coming out of the mouth, I would say, "Well, that." <laughs> well, you, obviously but that's, like he's that's being an puppeted. artistic choice. In that, like, if we cut directly to a flashback, it would be awkward and weird. We hmm. need to continue to hear the son's testimony. But the fact that, in in other words, if if that if he's never in the car with his dad, and and if we if we're left to wonder if that conversation ever happened, then it's different. We know. His dad picked him up and some conversation happened. And at that point, his testimony has to be taken seriously. We're getting way I like track. that. I like that. But it brings up a great point that I want to talk to the jawheads about. If you're listening to this and this intrigues you, this is the best movie to see with like a, a couple of people or family and then have this conversation because I swear to you, everybody's going to look at it a little bit different. I just don't. What's it rated? Do you guys know off top? Uh, it might be 13. I don't think it's, okay. hard. I don't yeah. think it's too Not a hard R. No, 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 no. no. Great movie. Though. It's long, hmm. two and a half, two and a half court. But it's genre, great. But it's great. I mean, it's so intriguing. The two and a half does not feel like two no, and it half. doesn't. It does not at all. It does not. So, the um, year of the long movie. The year of the long movie. My number four. Into our threes. My three has the same star, but in a smaller role, and that's Sandra Huller, who's also in a film called The Zone of Interest from Jonathan Glazer, who did under his last film was Under the Skin that long ago. This one is about the. A family led by one of the commandants of Auschwitz, and it is told entirely from outside the walls of Auschwitz. So you see them go through their normal, mundane, banal lives while you hear trains and screams and gunshots. And it's about, it's not just about looking the other way, it's about complicity. It's about profiting by looking the other way. And it's a daring film. I think it's a major film. I think it's a very important film in terms of especially the way the world is now where we're constantly turning away from vile behavior and and not necessarily vile behavior we profit off, but vile behavior around the world that we just choose not to pay attention to and do our thing. And that's what this movie is about. And it is a technical masterpiece. The sound design is insane. And if you're saying, hey, I don't want to watch a movie for two hours where I hear sounds of the Holocaust in the background. Yeah. It's a lot, and it's supposed to be a lot. I, I have a good friend who saw it at can and couldn't do anything for the rest of the day. Like, it's supposed to rattle you. It's supposed to shake you, and more film should rattle you, and more film should make you question, hey, what am I looking the other way from? What am I ignoring? What am I not necessarily profiting off of, but not paying enough attention to? But not in January. Let's just get <laughs> Megan's. <laughs> right. The Night Swim will not do that. Yeah. Nor neither will Imaginary. Two things on Zone of Interest. I saw this, obviously, at uh, Toronto with Brian, actually. Oh, were we in the same thing? Yeah. It's a lot. It is. I will <laughs> Well, yeah, say, we were next to each other. Yeah. <laughs> I, I heard about this one on NPR. I don't remember. I was cruising, and, and this came on. I'm like, damn, I got to see this. You yeah. Know? I will say it was the first movie I saw at Toronto that year. You're all high spirits. I see Brian, like, oh, we're excited, and then we're going to oh. sit through this. It's a tough one. But I'm so glad I saw it in a festival setting because sure. I think it's always the best when it's like a heightened experience like yep. that um, to watch. Oh, it's not a movie to watch with your phone in your hand. Exactly. You need to 100%. at least turn the lights off and get, send the kids away. Exactly. That was my point. Yeah. I, and here we were watching it and like, you know, 
I don't. Was it the world premiere? No, it was no. The it Toronto was the it played at camp. Okay. It came in second to Anatomy of a Fall. So North American premiere, yes. anyways. And so there's yes. like this more heightened experience of being there. I think that's the best way to see it. I feel bad for people who are like, uh, are they going to rent it on Netflix? These are the movies I think. Like, can you watch this at home and really get the same experience that you can get that me? You have had? to be I deliberate. So. You have to, and I would encourage people to do this more often. Send the kids to the neighbors, turn off the lights, put the phone in the other room. I try to do that. I still take screening things at home very, very seriously, especially if it's something Same. like this. Same. Like I, I really try to keep my phone away from me as far as possible. I try to tell my kids not to interrupt me. Like you need to, you need to give yourself over to art and right. you need to like be immersed in, especially this movie requires immersion. 100%. That's why I can't I'm so worried imagine watching are... this movie while I'm playing Candy Crush on my phone. Exactly. Although, <laughs> here's the funny thing. In front, I don't know if you noticed, in front of us, someone was like texting and I thought to myself- At a film fest? At, well, you see phones all the time at film fests. And I thought to myself how ironic it was that a movie about the banality of evil and looking the other way, someone was looking at their phone while they were watching it. Well said. Well hmm. said. Great movie for sure. Check it out and do it with commit to it hands. yeah exactly. commit to it so did we get a screener of this one do you, it's, do you it's know in, yes. we got in, the, um, the physical we got the physical, physical came very late yeah but we got the last the one you got yeah Ooh. we got it though i mean i'm i'm uh very interested in world war ii and 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 that kind of stuff i don't know why and it's it's horrifying but fascinating and i think there's still so many lessons to be learned from that dark dark period uh, all right, and number three. Speaking of World War II, oh, all, all my all my movies are World War II from here on out. <laughs> Not, no, all my movies are atrocities. Okay, well this 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 counts. Uh, this is the 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 creation of the bomb, Oppenheimer, at number three. And here's here's where I wanted to go first. You guys were talking about Shailene Woodley as the other woman earlier. How about Florence Pugh? You know that is a performance I don't think we're discussing enough, especially given the amazing performances in Oppenheimer. Yeah. And yeah, when we come out of the theater, we're like, yeah, Florence Pugh. I mean, she does a bold sex scene in this movie. Yep. But that aside, I mean, take take that sex scene out of the movie and just her pure performance, the emotionality of her character, the, the passion she clearly has for Oppenheimer. And I get that they're playing it up. They're taking a little artistic license with the history to make it more compelling. Well, she's for kind film. of a symbol. I mean, she's kind of um, well. We all know this by now that the whole script was written in first person. So she's gonna be a bit of a cipher. She's gonna sure. be. She's the one he couldn't quite figure out and that haunted him. So so it's okay that she the plays one that, that got away and to tragic ends. Like she's the one. She's the one problem he couldn't solve for lack of a mm, more that's interesting problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. hmm. I didn't. I didn't think of it that way. That that's that's an interesting. You take. need to look at every character in that film as. Even Downey and stuff, the scenes he's not in, that's the way he imagined those conversations would go down. It's interesting you said earlier that Downey was probably going to get a nod. He's great. Uh, oh, it, I was think, he? Yeah, yeah. yeah, he's great. I, I thought for a while he was going to win the thing, yeah, I did to be too. honest. When, uh, when we saw Oppenheimer, I, I thought, thought, well, so there's Downey's Oscar. He's well, got Well, but it. then I saw Gosling like two days later. And then I they, um, <laughs> they, uh, Not only is he very good, there's a history of the Academy awarding people who've made them a billion dollars. Like any, for any way they can, so he's got that going for him. He does have that going he for does. him. <laughs> and how do you do it? Iron Man. That's right, yeah. Marvel. Um, which is not a dirty word. Was oh. a year we needed a break. Get back to Oppenheimer. Right, yeah. Back, back, to, <laughs> back to Oppenheimer. Uh, yeah, what a weird, 
What a weird movie. What a what an odd film to be as successful as it was. I mean, you, you, you said it earlier. But, you know, it is Christopher Nolan. I mean, there's... It's his second highest grossing film, which is nuts. Oh, is it his highest? It might be his highest. I think it's his second. I noticed I think it's after that Dark Knight. Dark Knight had a one yep. billion. And this is yeah. his second highest, which is crazy. You could say it's his, it's his highest non-superhero grossing film. It is. Right. Mm-hmm. He's, people talk about the death of the box office draw. Nolan is a box office draw. Like, Nolan like, is a box office draw, but Dunkirk sucked. I mean, oh, I'm BS. getting back. Wait, well, you, you had Tenant on your list. You had Tenant on your list. You had Tenant more than Dunkirk? I had Tenant. I had Tenant. Tenant was a mess. At least audibly, it was a mess. I, I mean, will correct. I had Tenant hey, on the list. We, we got to cut all yeah. of this. No. Like, what are we doing? I, I <laughs> cut it out. Cut no, it. I'm going out. No, listen. No, but don't. No, positivity. Get back to Oppenheimer. It bears mentioning that in the general layman, does not go and see Dunkirk and come away saying... It made a ton of money and was a multiple Oscar nominee and most people like it. And this Oscars is the first... are not the layman. Clearly. They're not awarding... Sure, it still made a fortune. Why'd you go there? Yeah, I there? just don't like there. Dunkirk. Okay? That is the Dunkirk, weirdest, okay, weirdest whipping post I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. Hey, we're right. talking about Oppenheimer. Right. We're yeah, celebrating Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. It's right. great. On on point. You, you, you guys you know brought about up how Pugh. bad Dunkirk sucks. Yeah, no, I don't. You brought up Hugh. There's a ton of great performances in this movie. Safdie's so great. Alden Ehrenreich is phenomenal as the kind of our eyes into the Downey plotline. Like yeah. He's the one who's like looks at all this and realizes it's bullshit. David Krumholtz is great. Josh Hartnett. Josh Hartnett, great. I was about to say. I was, I was hoping for you were going to forget about the, Josh it's, Hartnett. It's, it's one of the best ensembles of the year. It will get a SAG ensemble, mm-hmm. possibly win. I think, I think everyone is great in it. I, I agree. It's definitely and, one and of the best Killian ensembles. Murphy's finally great. getting his so good his his due praise. yeah his due I mean we've loved this guy for so since long. 28 days so later for people <sighs> in, people in, in this room and people listening to this we're all, oh yeah we all love Killian Murphy I'm talking about the people yeah. outside of that like my brother who I've talked about will watch Peaky Blinders and be like that's eh, got this guy in there with these you know yeah. kind of striking eyes I'm like so much with his eyes yeah he's an eye actor so much there are so certain much. actors who do up. a lot with their eyes he's an tons, eye actor tons. nice pick Matt thank you. Nice pick. My number three already mentioned, um, and it is The Holdovers. Oh, wow. All the way up at number three. That's great. I've always seen it one time. It was at TIFF, and I absolutely loved it. Hmm. I wonder what the hell took so long for Alexander Payne right? and Paul Giamatti to work a- together again. Is that and, fucking Merlot? And when I hear, <laughs> and when I hear that uh, uh, Alexander Payne wrote this for... Giamatti. Giamatti. He, didn't write, he didn't write it. He didn't write it. Oh. David Hemmings. Well, at least I mean, he definitely had him in mind. Or they might have worked together. Yeah. I don't know, but he doesn't have sole. Right. He doesn't have any writer credit. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I know he had him in mind when when he was ma- You know, the the process of the movie sure. was coming through. And I'm like, well, yeah, a hundred percent. Like this is Paul Giamatti. I mean, when you're watching this, this is like Giamatti at his absolute best. It's like every line delivery by him is He's like, great. yep, it's it's. He fantastic. is perfect for the role. There's no doubt about it. I, yes. I, can we talk a little bit about Dominic Sessa being phenomenal too? Like, yeah, let's great, do. He's. That character at the beginning kind of feels like an archetype, like a stereotypical snotty kid. Especially but he when really the other kids are yeah, involved. Exactly. Right. But he really develops into ground. I think it's one of the better breakthrough performances of the year. I think he's going to be a star. You like do? Can, I do. I think he's got, you can see the range in the one film. Like you could, I could see him doing a drama. I could see him doing a broad comedy. Like the amount of range he shows he just do in Willy Holdovers. Wonka? Who, who couldn't? <laughs> 
<laughs> so Johnny Depp. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> well played, Matt K. Yeah, uh, I like holdovers. I'm impressed. I made both your top fives, right? Yeah, well I love the holdovers. It's so very good. That's my number three. Pick. I think, and at this table has made me feel this even stronger. I think it is being underestimated as an Oscar juggernaut because nice. I think really I like because this. it has that warm everyone every demo in the Oscar in the Academy is going right. to watch it when Kids, it's on the top moms. of the pile of screeners and people are like oh should I watch Zone of Interest with the family in the Academy or should I watch Holdovers it's going to get that repeat value people underestimate that right. that's how Green Book got there that's how Coda got there because it was over oh, the Academy members have families too who want to watch something over the holidays right. and they're going to watch Holdovers yeah that's true it is. Yes. Holdovers is so good. If, if you haven't had a chance to see it, it is now available to rent on digital. It is. They, they VOD'd it for the holidays, which is right? really smart. So smart. So, so smart. get out there and watch the Holdovers. Giamatti's best. My number three. Matt's number four. My, we like, love it. 13, I think. And so Brian's number out of 300 13. movies. So. So. Do and, check it out. And it moved ahead. up from like 20 to 13 on second viewing. So third viewing might take it even higher. This is scary because we're at number two and no one's mentioned my number two. I don't know if Brian has it at number two also, but... Uh, my number two has already been mentioned, and that's Oppenheimer. Ah, Oppenheimer. I, I think, again, my, you can probably guess my one. Now I my, know you're number my one. Trio, now it's all... My trio is about the atrocities of the world and the things, <laughs> the, the evil deeds that men do. I don't know how you left my number two off, but all right. Uh, we'll figure it out in a minute. Um, <laughs> it might be in my next one. There's very few, There's not an everything everywhere this year that I don't quite... Oh no! I, maybe there is. I think I know what it is. Never mind. It's a movie that was in my eleven to twenty. I don't want to spoil, but I okay. think I know what it is. Uh, Oppenheimer is great. We talked about how great it is. It's. I think it's technically. We haven't really talked. We talked about the acting just now, but the technical expertise of it, the editing and the cinematography and the way it's put together, like no one else could. And we talked about how there are no box office draws anymore, and Nolan's like one of the last ones because he's so good at what he does, and and he got there. Largely, I mean, the Batman thing helped, but he got there largely through quality. Like he he used oh, the all the way through quality. He, he used the Batman thing to go make weird ass movies like Inception and Interstellar. And this movie, none of these movies are normal. Like the you talked about the the Pew character and the the weird sex scenes and stuff like that. These are odd movies, and the fact they're not like mainstream down the middle fastballs. They're no. complicated. They're they're movies about the most important event of the 20th century, really. And and how he turns that into a, like I said, the script was written in first person perspective, which I think puts an end to the argument that you should see what happened in Japan. The idea being that he never got to see that. So right. it's all about his insular perspective from the beginning to the end. I think that's an incredible, ambitious idea for a movie. Like think about the versions of this movie that suck. Think about the traditional biopic that shows you all the other players and, and figures stuff in and then goes to Japan and we see the bomb drop and we see bodies. and Like that movie, I'm fascinated by people who ask for, okay, well, why didn't we see that perspective? And then I think, they don't think through what that movie would have been. Like that, that movie would have just been a traditional biopic. Nolan didn't make a traditional biopic no. and then he made a billion dollars and I think is gonna win Best Picture. And that's insane. So. I love it. It's a really interesting thing to say. Think of all the versions of this movie that suck. Because there's it, a lot of this it, one. It's like Doctor Strange trying to find the yeah. one reality in which the Avengers win, you know? I mean And most of the time this reality doesn't make a billion dollars. Right. right. Like the fact that he didn't take the easy road 
and made the fortune. That usually does not happen. You see Almost filmmakers never. all the time not take the easy road and falter, and then maybe we come around to history and realize they took chances. But this time, he was ambitious and successful, and God bless it. I have a litmus test for art films that is has almost never failed me, and it's my wife. If if I show an art film to her, you know, one that I'm excited about and she doesn't like it, usually I know that it, it, it's crap, and, and there's something wrong that I missed. I need to watch it a second time. Fascinating. It has failed me. She didn't get connect with everything everywhere all well, at neither once. Neither did I. I should talk to her. All right. Uh, <laughs> But she watched Oppenheimer. She's like, "Oh yeah, this yeah. was a, a, amazing. It's a hit. It's well, like a, that's the other crazy shit." My my nephew's fifteen. He saw it twice. His friends it's a all saw it twice. Yeah. It's a teenage hit. How did that happen? I had no freaking <laughs> idea. Get in for Oppenheimer. I mean, I get it with Barbie. I do not get it with Oppenheimer, and I love it. I love it. Well, that's a thing. All right, and and your number two, man. Th- this is perfect because it dovetails. My my number two is Barbie, and yeah. you cannot have a conversation about one film without the other. Barbenheimer is real, and the the films fed each other. Would Barbie have been as big without Oppenheimer? Would Oppenheimer be as big without Barbie? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe there's not. an there's an argument to be made. It was a, it was a phenomenon. It was a phenomenon, and one of the most interesting and weird phenomenons oh. that we'll probably ever witness. When it was I, building up online, I was like, oh, what the fuck are you people talking about? And then always, it was an actual thing. I always championed Cinema Jaw for celebrating both Greta Gerwig yeah. and Christopher Nolan that month. We kicked the whole thing off. You guys were the only one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really, the hashtag, we started yeah, the hashtag. I believe that's true. Yeah. You, should, you should try to make that a thing. Barbenheimer. Anyway, you know what's funny is, it's not funny, it's kind of sad. The the new 400, the, the theater in Rogers Park closed. Mm. And the, the posters that are up for like frozen in time are Barbie and Oppenheimer. There's a theater near me in Arlington Heights that has pre-COVID posters still up. So it's oh, wow. Invisible Man and like oh, all that. And it's so great. It's like every time I walk by it, I'm like, it's so it's everything that was coming out right before COVID hit and then the theater never reopened. So there's a whole wall of like pre-COVID posters oh, still outside. That's kind of creepy. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't know what I have to add to the conversation about Barbie. I think we, we really talked about it a lot. I'll say this. It, it it has a message, but it doesn't clobber you. Like you don't walk out of Barbie thinking I learned something or or girl power. Not that any of those things are bad, but it's just fun, right? You have a good time while also it's it's sort of wrapped in a obviously feminist message, but it's also not afraid to look at feminism with a, with a critical eye at the sure. same time. Sure. There's a lot to be said about 100%. I think anyone toy. I think anyone who thinks it's anti-man is literally not paying attention and of is course. talking about themselves because she wants Ken to have his own identity and his own personality. She wants him to not follow the traditional rules of masculinity the same way she had to follow the same rules of femininity. So like the idea that it's anti-man, you either didn't see the movie or you're an idiot. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. And even if Ken does follow the traditional rules, he can do it in his own well, exactly. stinking way. At the end she liberates him. Like to to be whatever he wants to be. It's about freedom in right. in every way, and 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 women needed to have needed to fight for freedom more than men. And it's confusing so. because it comes on the heels, literally the high heels of of a toy that a lot right. of women and feminist groups have pointed fingers at and said, "Hey, this is a misrepresentation right. and it, it's an objectification." But it leans into that. It understands it does. that. It does. It, That's what was brilliant about it. I yeah. agree. I, I just wanted more musical numbers because I'm just Ken rules. <laughs> 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 You're Ken enough. 
Such an amazing movie. Great you, are, you are more than Ken now, Brian. Don't let Brian fool you. More musical numbers, always. My number two pick has not been mentioned, so that's good. Um, and that is... Yorgos Lanthimos, yeah. poor things. Yeah, I'm stunned this isn't on Brian's list. To be eleven honest. to twenty, so I don't dislike okay. it. Um, I love Yorgos Lanthimos. It's very We've good. talked about it all the time uh, on, on the show. Dog tooth. Yes, and I did review this just last week, so I'm not going to hang on into it too long. And we're going long here, anyways. But it is literally the most fun that I've had in the movie theater for for the entire run of a movie. I loved Barbie. I love other movies. The killer was mine. The killer. <laughs> poor, poor things is a lot of fun, though. But the poor things is it's an so absolute fun. blast. Yeah. All right. Here's what we got. We got Emma Stone. Absolutely incredible. Mark Ruffalo, career best. Agree, everybody. No, actually, I, uh, I loved Ruffalo. I still haven't seen it. I think I yeah. think Defoe's the great supporting performance in this one. I love Defoe. An empathetic, well. heartfelt kind of center of the film. Ruffalo's best as you can count on me going way back. Oh yeah, I remember this yeah. with Laura Linney. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I loved Ruffalo in this. I He's think great. it's his He's career best. He's always great. But uh, Lanthimos, I mean, the way he is is at his dark comedies, I mean, this guy just excels in this. And we have this, uh, what I call uh, Frankenstein, uh, a feminist Frankenstein story set in the Victorian era. The Sort of. A, sort a, of. A cartoon fairy steampunk-y tale-esque. fairy tale. Right. Yeah. Steampunk involved. So the art direction is literally incredible. Your, your, your eyes are like looking around the screen at everything that the guys created. And yet... The idea that Emma Stone is playing a character who is learning everything slowly um, and then grows into this wonderful character is is literally fantastic. And it, it supplies so many laughs, but it also gets you to think all of the things that uh, the world normally would have more or less suppressed on her right. that isn't available because she is just learning on this like whimsical, you know, journey that she is on uh, being taken around the world by Mark Ruffalo and then coming back. The whole thing's fantastic. I love Lanthimos for his absurd storytelling. It's like Wes Anderson meets um, um, Tim Burton. Not bad. And I love going to the movies and being, being challenged or being seeing something that where I'm like, what is going on here? And that is poor things. And it's so good. I want everybody to see this one. It's very good. I, I think it'll. I think Emma Stone's phenomenal. You just talked about Ruffalo, but I think Stone is gives a fearless, great performance. Um, she's always good. Um, we're, it's Emma Stone month. Yeah, it I is mean, Emma Stone. Honestly, month. we we were agreeing, disagreeing with Matt again. It's an incredibly strong year when this movie doesn't make my top ten. I think it's very good. Here we are, ladies and gentlemen. Cinema Jaws number one picks. We start with Brian. Your number one pick of twenty twenty three. Killers of the Flower Moon, uh, Martin wow. Scorsese uh, coming through again, the best filmmaker of the current era. Uh, I, I think all of his recent films are great. I, I mean, how much has been said about Killers of the Flower Moon, I can't really add too much to it other than to say my number one is usually the film that I think provoked the most interesting conversations, and that's been Killers of the Flower Moon this year in terms of who tells what story, POVs in, in general, length of films even being a part of the conversation. I think the most interesting discussions and the most interesting think pieces this year have been around this film. That's one thing. I will also say it is a technically insane film. Just the way it's put, cut together by Thelma Schoenmacher, who's a genius, Robbie Robertson's score. Um, the, the technical elements of it, I think, are taken for granted. The performances 
are uniformly fantastic. Yeah. All the way down to Jason Isbell and other supporting roles that have not gotten enough attention. I think it's De Niro's best performance in years. I think he gives an incredible performance as the kind of guy who will smile as he stabs you. I think what we talked about the banality of evil in Zone of Interest. I think that's a theme here too. What I find so fascinating about Killers of the Flower Moon is the mundanity of the crimes that are committed in it. Like they don't hide anything. Like they, they talk about stealing from Native Americans and then they just go do it. And they talk about killing people and they just go do it. They don't think twice. It's all about how simple it all was and how devastatingly simple it all was. And then there's the end, which I think is one of Scorsese's masterstrokes. I you think. do. Oh. We were mixed on this. We reviewed it on the jaw. We had a good conversation was, on it. Uh, I was, we were mixed. I was going to bring it up because you talk you talk about viewpoints now, and I feel like an a hole who had it at number ten, and you <laughs> have it at number one. Hey, yeah. I don't even have it on my top ten. All so. right, insane. So uh, at least I'm a little better than Ryan. Yeah, you are. All right. a lot better. Um, <laughs> it uh, the epilogue when he sent. Uh, so we spoil. We're spoiling mm. everything here. I um, guess at this point. At this point, we're spoiling. Yeah. Be, be when forewarned. he centers the conversation about who tells what stories, and he. I've said this on a number of podcasts. Sorry, guys. No, please. But the last, Drop it on the us. La, one of the last lines is about how in Molly's obituaries it never mentioned the murders. I think that's the last line. They, they never mentioned the murders. He's saying maybe from now on we should fucking mention the murders. Like he's talking about how these stories are told and going forward, and who will tell these stories. Fair, but 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 the fact that he's the 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 white dude on stage at a, a radio like a this this crass theatrical performance right. of he's turning the camera around on himself uh, for sure okay 100 but but does that work it didn't work for me oh i find it amazing i think it's one of his <sighs> best choices i think he kind of dropped the ball on it mm. i that lost me honestly all right i, I have that's one the other difference between a number one and a number 10 for me i think the epilogue is mind-blowingly powerful in the sense that it's again him saying i understand that these stories have been told poorly before like throughout history, these stories have been told. The murders never got mentioned. So I'm going to foreground that. And any conversation you have about, should I have told this story, I'm going to foreground that. And so you can come out of this theater talking about who told it, how was it told differently. And again, we go back to the argument of when people say, I wanted it to be told from a different perspective, they're not, I'm not sure they know what film they're talking about. Like right. the idea that it, it was to be, this story to be told from Molly's perspective, to me, feels while well-intentioned, misguided. Because the whole idea of this film is that Molly could never tell her own fucking story. Like, it was that was never an option. So to tell it from her story would feel almost condescending to a certain degree. Like, the, the way that it's told from, and the way that it's masterfully, that needle is threaded, is to, to make it a story of complicity. To make it a story of, we all watched while this happened. We all knew everyone even in school when you're a kid you're like well wait how did we get here and how what land did we take we've known this the story of of native american robbery forever and we never asked why no one mentioned the murders i don't know <laughs> one problem i have with it outside of what you're discussing right now is <clears throat> so i read the book yeah so did i and i was really big into the uh the formation of the FBI. Totally I different loved, film. I agree, and totally different. And I don't want to see that film, to be honest. The book's fine. The book is very good as what it is. But my question is this. When you're watching the movie, do you think that Molly is aware that her husband is drugging her? 
I do at a certain point at least. She she knows what? at a certain point. Yes. When she so you asks guys both him, think that. Well, I think she she wanted mm-hmm. to believe. But wait, that, I'm not sure why we're, why are we asking? Why is well, that important? The reason why I, for me, I was vastly confused. I, I thought she was way too smart not to know. But what she, does she do if she knows? And and maybe that's the point. Well, then stop taking the drug. People. But she people does fool eventually themselves. walk away. Also, yeah, she's also the idea. Then could be that she didn't have enough control to get away from it. Just like all, so many people didn't have enough control to get away from it. She did love him, and on some level, or at least she she was um, dependent or addicted to him in some right. way, or or just had no other choice. Like I think that well, she a was big rich, part of so it. she had choices, right? The argument well, of the film degree, is that they did not. Right, <laughs> they, they couldn't even control degree, their own money. I they had to go to that. a banker to right. to get control over their own money. Yeah, I think it's a also again. I'm just going to throw this back out there. Technically, it's like nothing. I mean, Oppenheimer a little bit, but that's my top two. Both in terms of craft, they're like nothing else I saw this year mm. in terms of craft. That's my one and two. And zone of interest, all three craft masterpieces. Matt, you're no one. argument in terms of Matt, craft. you're number one. All right. My number one is uh, Bo is Afraid. And I knew- <laughs> Can you cra- believe this? A high Bo craft film as well. Yeah. I knew walking out of the theater that I had, I had never seen a movie that that made me feel the way Bo is Afraid I, I made no me idea. feel. I'm impressed. Both I, of you. It 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 really, for, for as long as the movie is, it's not short, right? No, the, no. The whole freaking movie, I was like- People use this term a lot, on the edge of my seat. Sure. And it's just, it, it's become meaningless because yeah. it's like, oh, I was on the edge of my seat. I was literally on the edge of my seat, like holding the thing. Ryan was levitating next to me and and I was glued to the screen. Every scene, every scene. I'm not one of these guys, and I said this when we reviewed it, I'm not one of these guys who talks during a movie. Mm-hmm. Like we've had that guy sit behind us. He's like, oh my God, what? You I know, hate that. I do too. I really do. My friend jokes that he's always in front of the person who's never seen a movie before. Like they right. laugh at they <laughs> things louder and stuff. It's if you laugh, line. you laugh. That's fine. But, but laughing like, but like to, Cape Fear, Robert De Niro laughing. Or, right. <laughs> or to commentate like, what the, oh my God. Like, yeah. just keep it to yourself, buddy. But I couldn't help it. There were scenes I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? Do you have anxiety issues? Yes. Oh, big time. Do you have, I'm going to be, do you have mommy issues? I don't have mommy issues, okay. no. But that's a big part of it. I don't think so. But uh, that that is definitely not my issue. Anxiety, yeah, yeah. for sure. And like, like right from the beginning, I was like, oh my God. Like yeah. I've never been so tense for so long and had so much fun. Like it, Ari Aster... You talked about threading the needle. Yeah. Threaded that needle. And there were so many horrifying scenes that are seared into my conscious that, that I will never be able to wash away. Mm-hmm. The drinking of the paint. The Parker Posey scene. The Parker Posey scene, which is up there in my book. It's up there with the ring. I feel like I you're saw getting anxious right now. Yeah. yeah, I am. Do you remember I saw her face in the ring? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Like that, like probably one of the best horror moments yeah, of yeah. all time. Sure. And Parker Posey's. Scene. Oh, scene. <laughs> we, we we need to take a break here. You want some more whiskey? <laughs> it's, it's okay. It's my number one, so we're done. That movie was fucking awesome. I loved it. I don't think I'll ever see another movie like that until maybe Ari Aster's next movie. Was he, Midsummer on your top tens? It was. Mine, absolutely. And Hereditary? Yeah. Yep. Hereditary is probably my least favorite of the three. All three were on my top though. Get yeah. out of no, here. No, no, I like it, but it's very derivative of, of Rosemary's Baby and, and Exorcist and some other things, but it even ends with a Hail I Satan. I love them all. I love all of them. I do too. 
but he's just getting better and better. Oh, this so is, uh, you know, this is a minority opinion. Oh, like most people do not like Bo's Afraid. Like I think it had an F on CinemaScore, didn't it? I'm pretty sure. I, I think so. Which because is it fine played at again, that, uh, but music box. Yeah, fest right. that was yeah, 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 yeah. So whatever. I've never walked. I mean, this is the eleventh one of these. I've never walked out of these one of these and said, "I'm watching that movie again this week." I'm going to watch Bo's Afraid again this week. I liked it, but I did not have the uh, same response. I think the first hour is stunning. I think it then spins its wheels and doesn't quite know what it's doing. It gets stuck in the mud it a does. little bit during the the scenes when he's with the family. Yes, yes. but it, there's also what I like about that is yeah the Nathan Lane stuff. Yeah, the Nathan Lane stuff, and there's a bit of a mystery <laughs> I like going that. on. I, I like but it that too. first hour is like a punch to the gut. Yeah. It is. It slows down, but he's also like seeing himself on TV. He's trying to figure out the yeah. the whole thing. And the teenage daughter, the scenes with her, it's just I need like, to do it again. Did you do? So you, you guys both did a theater. Yeah. yeah, I did yeah. it at home, which yeah. I think might be a difference. Oh my God, um, I was, I was. I tried to give it the attention it needs, but it's a long ass movie is, to give it the attention really it needs. I will do it again. Yeah. The Spider, damn. That should be a question yeah, for your little survey, not to jump in. What movie from someone else's list are you going to watch again or for the first time? Well, Bo's, well, Bo's afraid gonna to it. We're going to get to this, John. Right, yeah, yeah. My number one. It's so anticlimactic at this point because my number one is Oppenheimer. Okay. And so we're not going to dwell on this very long. We're going to wrap it up. But Oppenheimer, for everything that we've talked about. Absolutely, my number one. It's a great movie. It is Amazing. absolutely. I mean, technical it's win achievement. Best picture. You do. I do think it's going to be. Uh, it's I either that it's or poor things. It's your one or two. I think poor things could do the everything everywhere push late. I'd say I don't your think one so. or two. I think it's Oppenheimer. It's to be honest, Oppenheimer. I think it's Oppenheimer. But my, here, myself. Here's my argument against that. We've never known this early. Like at this point last year, it was Fablemans. In other words, there's always something that jumps late, and if something's going to jump late, it's poor things. True. There you go. And they're both well made, but to your point which you made earlier, how good is Oppenheimer made is literally incredible. incredible. And I think most of the people in the Academy are going to be like, yeah, this is a one in a lifetimer. I actually think this is going to be one of the greatest movies of all time. We're going to look at it uh, on that kind of pedestal. I really do feel that way. I've only watched it once. And I came home. I was waiting for stencils. Me and Matt Bullet Journal, I was waiting for stencils. I was excited that this, uh, this journal, this stencil thing came and I came down in my hallway, and I was like, oh, my God, the stencils came. And I went down, and it looked like the package of the stencils. And I opened it up. And it was Oppenheimer? And it was Oppenheimer Bonus. in 4K. Yeah, this is the first we time got you a saw 4K. it at home for the first time? You didn't see it in theaters? No, no, I'm oh. saying I saw it in, in, oh, in the theaters. The second I'm saying time. my No, I haven't even seen it a second time. Oh. I'm just saying my excitement of owning it in 4K that the studio sent me the the – the 4K, I was like screaming. I'm like, oh my God, I'm yeah. going to have a blast with this movie again because I enjoyed it that much. Um, you were talking about it's cliche to say you're on the edge of the seat. But I joked in the, the review that literally my body hurt from being so tense from that first yeah. two hours of the movie. I mean, it was tense. That, it's that, another one. That goes down to the score, which mm-hmm. is absolutely incredible. Um, I mean, when we get to the, the sound Trinity design. test. The sound design is The insane. sound design is incredible. The Trinity test. No, the, the Trinity test incredible. scene is ludicrous. It's like, oh my God, this yeah. is this is filmmaking literally at its best. This is, a, this is a guy who's working at the top of his craft, and we get to witness this. It's like watching Michael Jordan at the top of his game you know, score 63 or whatever. This is, Nolan just said, hey, this is my thing. Love it. Give him the game ball. Love it. So my number one is Oppenheimer. There you have it. What was on all three? Oppenheimer. I thought Flower Moon was going to be, but no. Um, Oppenheimer, Spider-Verse. Spider-Verse. Heron. Heron. 
really quick. I know you didn't write down uh, 11 I do through have 15. Some. 11 through 15. Not 11 through 15, but we're I got not, a couple. We're not commenting on these. 11 no. through 15. My 11 through 15. The killer. Oh, we missed one. The Iron Claw. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. I, I, I really want to. About the Von Sean Durkin's, family. Sean Durkin's fantastic. Past Lives, number 13. Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. And number 15, May, December. Matt? Okay, two two honorables for me. Leo, I think it bears mentioning. Uh-huh. And uh, for for a foreign film, The Cow Who Sang a Song Into the Future. Well done, Matt K. You see, I give him the screener and this guy... He puts it on a it's list. It's all thanks to and you, th- Ryan. And, and now he looks like a <laughs> looks like a, a real smart guy over yeah. there. No, it was so worldly, Matt. Kay. Great, great movie. Great Eleven movie. to fifteen. Go ahead, Brian. Asteroid City, Ooh. which I love. I think Wes Anderson's best movie since Moonrise Kingdom, and that was my alternate for ten. The Holdovers, uh, Passages, great Iris Sachs movie. Just watched um, it. John Wick Chapter Four, the best <laughs> action movie of the year. Are you kidding? A phenomenal me? piece of action choreography. Holy crap. One of the best edited films of the year. Just perfectly put together movie, and a great doc called Beyond Utopia about trying to leave um, North Korea. Just reviewed it on the. Roundup. Roundup podcast, our companion podcast for our Patreons. So if you're out there and you want to listen to my review on Beyond Utopia, go to patreon.com slash cinemajaw. Plug the other movies you, you reviewed. You did three. Yeah. I also did uh, Leave the World Behind right. with Julia I'm Roberts. Number one on Netflix. Super mixed. It's really good. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll get around to it. liked it a lot. And I also reviewed The Royal Hotel. Which it's I was fine. a big fan of. As oh, you well. like that? Yeah, so, that was on the on the. I'm not movie sure she knows how to land that one, but I like it for a while. I yeah. think the end's a little like, oh, we're done, but I liked it. The point I think was to get that anxiety going. Yes, you know? she does a good job with that. Totally. All right. All right. So normally we pay trivia to end the jaw. Instead, we're going to do five questions. On have your lists pulled up, gentlemen. Okay. Because I uh, do. the questions will be on the lists themselves. Question number one. We are going to throw this to Brian. Which movie on your top ten list, on your top ten list, will win the most Oscars? Oppenheimer. And most most tech and – oh, we're going quick. Sorry, lightning. No, it, no, no, you can say whatever. Tons of tech, and I think it's the front runner for pick and director right now. It could actually sweep unless something This, comes this was sort of our <sighs> Oscar prediction. So you think Oppenheimer the best. Matt, what do you think is going to win the yeah, most? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's probably the correct answer. If I, if I was forced to be contrarian, I would go Holdovers, but really it's Oppenheimer. I also have Oppenheimer as Maybe my Barbie. pick as well. Holdovers, like I said, I think is being underrated for possible actress, supporting actress, screenplay, some solid wins. But I still think once you add in all the techs, Holdovers is not winning techs. So Oppenheimer is going to win like five of those. Right. So it's going to be Oppenheimer for the most. The only other pick is really Barbie. Yeah, you know, that's true. And yeah. I, I think poor things underestimated if poor things wins costume and art direction and has all these like i said we've never known this early the mm. last like decade we've not known in december what's going to win pick so aquaman yeah sure could be. <laughs> sure wonka question number two which movie on your top 10 list would you like to see turned into a broadway musical oh my god think about it here for a second and uh, I'm, Oppen- I know, I know right off the top. I was going to say, still <laughs> Oppenheimer, right? Was, still Oppenheimer. I was about to say, you can't pick the same movie uh, twice. <laughs> I was oh, about to say, don't May, pick May, December's the same movie. got camp. So May, December could have some musical numbers about not understanding. <laughs> they other. could be singing yeah, about yeah, yeah, having yeah. an affair. But I, I, Oppenheimer, but if I can't pick that, May, December. Matt? Guys, I mean, Bo is afraid. How do you not go, Bo is afraid? <laughs> sure. That'd be good. TMNT would be kind of a fun Broadway TMNT musical. would be amazing. Yeah, either of those two. 
I have nothing on my list that great. Um, outside of that, I would say Barbie. Barbie's, I think Barbie Barbie's makes a musical. great musical. Even you probably, that's probably inevitable, actually. Yeah, it's it, going it to happen. probably will happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You already got, you know, I'm, I'm just Ken. Ken. Yeah. The end. I am Kenneth number. Right. I'm already here for. And Billie Eilish song. They'll do that live. <laughs> like, they'll do all of it. All right. Which movie on your list that's not part of an existing franchise, so wipe away Spider-Verse. Or TMNT. Or TMNT. Will have a sequel made from it. None of them. Um, and if you have to pick one. You have to pick one. Okay. Which I got movie one. would have a sequel? I, I on got your one list? while Brian's thinking. I'd here. watch another The Killer. Like he he survives at the end. He's kind of falling apart. Oh, that's there. not bad. Yeah, I would go. totally do that. I yeah. It can almost turn into a series. Yeah, sure. The only pick on my list that even makes sense is Megan, and I think oh. it's it's going to happen. <laughs> it's already been greenlit. Yeah. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, that's I, did, I did not hear that news, but it's certainly not going to be. Bo is afraid too. No, Megan yeah. two is happening. <laughs> yeah. It's a cheap pick, but I'll go with uh, Godzilla minus one. Sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah they're going to do minus two. Yeah, minus two. <laughs> you know it's going to happen. Plus, plus one. <laughs> what, what's great is now we're we're, we're seeing the, the Toho films in a new light. I right. Them. I love them. That Criterion Godzilla box set, everyone out there, is the best. Get it for a holiday gift. Which film on your list do you think is going to be the... Uh, which film on the list do you find most rewatchable? Yeah. Spider-Verse. Spider-Verse, I, I will... Rewatch for sure. Uh, I would go holdovers. I'm going to watch that one. Like I'm like, also holdovers on yeah, that one. That's that's going to be a and Christmas time. Spin. Both are great answers. I, I sure. agree that people will watch those multiple times. The last one. Here we go, guys. Which film on your list do you think is the most optimistic film? Optimistic. Ooh, well, that's holdovers for you. Everyone can find each other and be happy. But you're not supposed to repeat. So TMNT. TMNT is very optimistic. Splinter has a change of character. Boy, I mean, now I've I've ruined every all of my picks. It's probably TMNT. Obviously, KP is correct there. It is TMNT, but but just to be weird, it's definitely not Oppenheimer. <laughs> no, could be Barbie. I'm saying Barbie. Barbie's super optimistic. Yeah, Barbie. Um, none of mine are. I know. Great. <laughs> none of mine either. You guys, that's why I, I threw mean... that question on there. It was like, do we have optimistic films on here? Um, Barbie's optimistic. I will say this. Have you seen All of Us Strangers yet? I have seen it. I think in the end he reaches a place of like comfort with what he's lost and what other people have lost and what he might have lost had he not come to terms with things. So I think it, as sad as All of Us Strangers is, I do think it ends on a note of recovery to a certain extent. Um, acceptance. Note of acceptance. So I'll go with that. I have a question for you guys. Regarding our list, when Go. Mattel greenlit Barbie being made into a film, even with the names Noah Baumbach and and Greta Gerwig attached, do you think they would be delivered what we saw in theaters? No, 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 no. no I'm done with familiar IPs. I hate familiar IPs. I, they drive me insane. And Barbie works like it. It breaks the mold of familiar IPs. I will say we're giving a lot of credit to Greta Gerwig and Baumbach. We got to give credit to Mattel to say hands off and just go ahead and make the movie that you guys want to make because that normally does not happen. They even put it happen. Poke some one. some fun. hundred percent. Oh yeah, yeah. Although I did not like if if anything doesn't work and we're we're going long here, yeah. but if anything doesn't work, it's it's the Will Ferrell's president business stuff. I, you know. Anyway. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It brings us to the end of a great job. First and foremost, we got to thank our editor, our producer KP. 
wouldn't be anywhere else, wouldn't be Hot Dog Red with any other humans. <laughs> cheers, No, Phil. you would. Joe, would. Cheers, KP. It's not, cheers, it's, we're in a hot cheers. box studio. It's, it is a little warm in insane. here. insane. Is it? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Don't doubt well, You're not sweaty. I'm trying. Brian says this at the very end of the podcast. No, Brian. It gets warm in like, this room. It's a small room. Yeah. The ventilation is, is non-existent. It's Brian, okay. do not downplay my Asian flesh right now. <laughs> <laughs> we also got to thank our guest, as always. Brian, thanks for coming on. Anytime. Or yeah. Once a year, at least. Yeah, once a year. <laughs> hey, you're welcome to come more than once a year. Sure, come back. As long as the Baker's Mark is here. <laughs> we also want to thank our Patreons. Thank you. Seriously. Wow, well said, Ryan. Thank but you. But I was going to say, if you want to join Patreon, go on there, patreon.com slash cinemajaw, and join our family of Patreons. It would mean the world to us. We got a companion podcast, the movie Roundup. So and the Roundup this on. week kicks ass. They kick ass all the time, KP. Absolutely. That's true. You get access to that podcast by just being a member of our Patreons at whatever cost. Yeah, so, just do it. Absolutely. No reason not to, and it would support us and mean the world to us. Yeah. All the other jawheads, if you don't want to support us on Patreon, the best way to do so is? Well, what we should say is, if you don't have the means and you still want to support us, there are ways to do it for free. So just click a button. Wherever you're listening to this, just, hit, just start tapping your screen. You're bound to hit a like or a, a, a subscribe or something like that, and it helps us. So do Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Until next week, I'm Ryan the Movie Guy. I'm Matt Kay. And, and keep, keep on John about, about the movies. movies.